Come on, man. He's just trolling <laughs> at this point. He's just bad at time. That would be my guess. So how's everyone this Christmas Eve? Good. Laid back What's day. The time for you? Nice. Well, yeah. what's the time for you, Ian? Uh, one eleven in the morning, so it's already Christmas for me. Where are you at? Hey, Merry Christmas. Malaysia. I'm in Malaysia right now. Five minutes. Ten minutes ago, come on! <laughs> yeah, you gotta go to bed. No, no, I keep American hours. Uh, no. I'm just... Come on, Matt. I, I wanna I wanna sit down and watch, you know, some Amazon that the there's this new Nick Nicholas Cage movie that I wanna see. It's about he plays himself or something, which is kind of interesting. Yo, has anyone has anyone seen the new Avatar movie? It's out, isn't it? Is it? I I haven't really kept track of it. I haven't it. seen anything of it at all. Shit, is it even out? Oh, my 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 team is trolling me. Hold on. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it did out. very well. Okay. Apparently, it's a box office bomb because nobody's going to see it. Uh-huh. I mean, no surprise. He he uh, made some really stupid comments about toxic masculinity or something. He was like, "We need to erase testosterone from the human race." Um. Testosterone is the the leading cause of all the world's problems. We need to get rid of it. It's like okay. James Cameron said that. Yeah, he said that. Yeah, it's like fuck off. Never getting my money. He he's bought into the whole depopulation agenda, you know, with the WEF. Sucks. I mean, I always figured he was one of those because you know he used to be really into oceanic shit, you know, like deep sea diving and crap, you know, like he had this TV series called Sequest DSV and the first season was super woke and this is before there was such a thing as wokeness, right? This is like the the mid-90s. It was super woke and then like the he stopped being the uh, uh, the producer on the show and the second season was actually a lot better because he started making fun of his philosophy because uh, the new captain that they had on later on, because it's it's about like you know like an uh like a like this gigantic submarine that travels the oceans or something. It's kind of stupid, but it's a cool cool setting, right? Instead of space, it's just oceans, and it's set in the future, like twenty fifty or something. And uh, yeah, I'm just spending time here before Matt drops this thing whenever. Um, but anyway, first season, super woke, saving the oceans, got to stop global warming, all that crap. Second season, new captain, and he's like, no, let's go eat some real burgers. I know a place where they don't serve vegan food. And it's like, hell yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just a big fuck you to, to, to you know, to, to, to this fucking guy. It's great. Very Jock Cousteau first season. <laughs> yep. I liked the first season, though. It was good. It was like, I mean, good storytelling and stuff, you know, definitely had his, his mark on it, but Definitely super woke. Second season's just more fun, I guess. You know, just became like a regular Star Trek type series, and it was fine. 
the the kid that was on that show, Brandon, what's his face? I can't remember his last name. He, uh, I, I was reading about him, right? Like some years after that show ended, he killed himself uh, in, in his fucking closet. Awful. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that. I just remember it being really tragic. Jeez. The 90s, man. People people like to wax nostalgic about the 90s, but, you know, it, it really wasn't that much of a fun time for a lot of people. Don't forget all the horror movies he made, too. Yeah, I did, yeah. I mean, he made some good good stuff, like, what, Alien? Uh, yeah, Alien. He's brilliant. He is, yeah. Except he's lost it. He's lost the plot. Now he likes, like, concrete-colored people, you know? And, and they're all weird-looking. And not Wait, a you're, you're talking about James Cameron? Yeah, James Cameron. I mean, he, Avatar is just concrete colored people. You know, it's just awful. Oh yeah, it's terrible. I, I well, concrete. Ridley Ridley Scott directed Alien, but he I think he meant Aliens with uh, Aliens. Yeah, Aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that was good. Yeah, it was really good. What the hell happened to him? I guess he got woke. Like the oceans too much. I mean, you know, I I agree that we should stop polluting the ocean. You know, sure. Yeah, I agree with that, but the guy kind of goes overboard with this stuff, and it's like, you're not, you know, like, I, I I see what he's trying to do, he's trying to use his movies as a medium to save the planet, you know, and, and yeah, that kind of wins some people over, but I think most people just get turned off by it. It's too, it's too humans bad, nativism good, you know, it's like, come on, this is nonsense. It's not real. Native Americans or the Native anything's were not peace-loving uh, defenders of planet Earth, Mother Gaia, whatever the hell, you know. No. They were burning down forests, like burning down rainforests to, to hunt animals. Like They had horrible land management policies. I mean, if you could even call them policies. I don't think they were that developed. Just awful. The use yeah, of the land was awful. You're basically describing the plot to Avatar, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Guys, testing the audio. Is it working? Yeah, it's working. By the way, I'm at the airport on my third canceled flight. <laughs> wow. What's wow. going on there? Can't get out, huh? Winter, right? The polar vortex? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, right, nobody's so, flying. So let's, um, Ian, let's kick it off. Quickly. Yeah, there wasn't enough staff like this. Yeah. While, while, while waiting um, for the drop... And while Ari, mm-hmm. probably the drop will finish before Ari catches a flight by the looks of it. So I'm sorry to hear, Ari. Um, let's uh, do a quick overview for the audience of the last drop because that was one of the, <laughs> the one of the, sure. the juicier ones because it, it started showing the involvement of the military. Um, okay, so the last media. drop, it really depends on who you talk to if they find it juicy, right? So the last drop doesn't actually show... Okay, so, okay, I'll, I'll give an overview of it first. The previous drop, which was released by Lee Fang of The Intercept, uh, discusses how the the Department of Defense was using Twitter to uh, promote disinformation campaigns in the Middle East, right? Uh, with Syria, with uh, Iraq, and, uh, you know, to, to basically paint uh, Iran as the bad guys. And, you know... You can argue that Iran kind of does the same thing to the U.S. It does, right? 100% it does. 
they do it through uh their own forms of media they're not they're not particularly successful but they do it us just does it better that is not technically illegal what is illegal or maybe not illegal necessarily but what is potentially dangerous is the mission creep from the last one it's like okay you you guys you know did this thing in in iraq and you did this stuff in uh, the middle east what happens when you run out of uh, you know enemies to fight well, you're going to turn it inward, right? You're going to turn it towards uh, 2020 with the, uh, sorry, 2021 with the, uh, fuck, the January 6th thing. And you're going to turn it, uh, you know, on so-called domestic extremists or whatever. And, and that's where the real threat is. However, the Twitter files, uh, those particular ones don't go back that far, I don't think. And so they don't really show any sort of, uh, uh, activity against uh, American citizens, right? So that was yeah. that was the uh, so, so, uh, That's an important point because yeah, because it's not illegal. Like, what yeah, yeah. Is so, not illegal. so it's important for us to make sure that we, when there's important files, we mention how important they are. But when there's a drop that's that you know is not really that that major, it's important we point that out. And I think for the last yeah. drop. It wasn't. It, it, no, I have a feeling it's going to continue down the path where they start leveraging social media to influence the American public. That's yeah. a different, completely different can of worms, and, and that's illegal. Yeah, uh, we haven't seen that yet. Or even Europe. And we're not. Or even we're, Europe. we're not sure with Europe. Okay, yeah, of course. Or influencing uh, Europe, allied Canada, countries. Australia, New Zealand. I mean, any of these countries. If if the American government is is you know doing some shenanigans with those countries, and I mean without their knowledge or something. Then yeah, that's pretty bad, right? Like that's going to be an issue. Um, according to the new Twitter file, I mean, according to Matt Taibbi, okay, he just started it. His first tweet is up. Cool, I'll read it. He actually just posted all of them. So thread the Twitter files, Twitter and other government agencies. That is the name of this particular drop. So it goes after weeks of Twitter files reports detailing close coordination between the FBI and Twitter in moderating social media content. The bureau uh, issued a statement on Wednesday. Number two, it did not refute the allegations. Instead, it decried, quote, conspiracy theorists publishing misinformation. That's also in quotes, whose, quote, sole aim is to, quote, discredit the agency. And uh, this is a statement from the FBI. This is released to the press. This is. It came out like a few few days ago. It says, the men and women uh, of the FBI work every day to protect the American public. It is unfortunate that conspiracy theorists and others are feeding the American uh, uh, public misinformation with the sole purpose of attempting to discredit the agency. That was what they said. Number three, they must think us ambig- uh, uh, unambitious uh, if our, quote, sole aim is to discredit the FBI. Uh, this is Matt Tybee speaking. After all, a whole range of government agencies discredit themselves in the Twitter files. Why stop with one? Uh, the files show the FBI acting as a doorman to a vast program of social media surveillance and censorship, encompassing agencies across the federal government, from the State Department to the Pentagon to the CIA. The operation is far bigger than the reported 80 members of the Foreign Influence Task Force, FITF. That was the previous drop. That was the FITF. Those are the, uh, the DOD guys. Uh, which also facilitates requests from a wide uh, array of smaller actors, from local cops to media to state governments. Uh, Twitter had so much contact with so many agencies that executives lost track. Is today the DOD and tomorrow the FBI? Question mark. It is. Uh, is it a weekly call or the monthly meeting? It was dizzying. And so the first email is uh, from some guy at Twitter. He says, "For DOD, no, that's a different group. We'll reply to that in a second. And another guy says, "You'll." Uh, should uh, the 
uh, should the prep call be you plus someone else and someone else? Thanks. And then uh, Yol replies, says, hope you're doing well. Would it be possible to, for you to add blank and blank to the invite for the monthly U.S. government slash industry call? Thanks, Yol. So that was number six. Number seven, he goes, the chief end result was that thousands of official reports flowed to Twitter from all over through, uh, through the FITF and the FBI's San Francisco field office. So essentially, you know, the FITF and the FBI's San Francisco field office served as a sort of conduit for all these government agencies to talk to Twitter. That's how they communicated. Number eight. On June 29, 2020, San Francisco FBI agent Elvis Chan wrote to a pair of FBI executives, sorry, Twitter executives, my bad, Twitter executives asking if he could invite an OGA to an upcoming conference. Stacia, uh, uh, I want, I wanted to follow up to see if I could forward this invitation to an OGA. Specifically, the people from Dash's, uh, former employer were inquiring, hope all is well, regards Elvis. Uh, OGA is uh, a term for other government organization. It can be a euphemism for CIA, according to multiple uh, former intelligence officials and contractors. Uh, quote, they think it's mysterious, but it's just conspicuous. So basically, the CIA wanted to be put in touch with Twitter, and Elvis Chan of the FBI was putting the CIA in touch with the uh, with Twitter, right? It could be the CIA. It's very likely the CIA. It could be something else, but it's very likely the CIA. And now, I've just tweeted. Uh, I've just pinned it above, so everyone can have a look at the thread at the same okay, time. Okay, cool. Yeah. Number ten, other government agency, the place where I worked for seven, twenty-seven years, said uh, retired CIA officer Ray McGovern. So Ray McGovern is a former CIA officer. Offered comment to Matt Taibbi saying that yeah, OGA is basically just short form for CIA. Which is not a way to call it. It was an open secret at Twitter that one of its executives was an ex-CIA employee, which is why Chan referred to the executive's former employer. Okay, so they are, in fact, talking about the CIA. Number 12, uh, the first Twitter executive abandoned any pretense to stealth uh, and emailed that the employee, uh, quote, used to work for the CIA. So that's Elvis's question. Ha, ha, ha. That's very funny. <laughs> the guy is just like, oh, yeah, that's just a like CIA dude. Like, she couldn't be fucked. Number 13, uh, senior legal executive Stacia Cardill, uh, whose alertness stood out among Twitter leaders, replied, quote, I know, and quote, I thought my silence was understood. So she actually, she's actually pretty mad that, uh, that he was like, yeah, that's CIA, dude. You know, like, she, she's not having it. Anyway, yeah, Cardill then passes on the conference details to recently hired ex-FBI lawyer Jim Baker. This, uh, the date here is July 8, 2020 on this one. So the, the others don't really have a date here, but this one has a header. Uh, previously, it was, what, what is this, July, June 29, 2020. The, the new email here is July 8, 2020. I'll read the email. Sunlight conference tomorrow. No need for you to attend. Carnegie is doing the heavy lift. I offered to assist Nick and Yule, but there are no academic papers to review or anything. I was involved in the early scoping of the joint project as well. I invited the FBI, and I believe that the CIA will virtually attend as well, or two. Um, please let me know if you have any questions. Thanks, Stacia. And then... Uh, Cardell says to Baker, adding pointedly, no need for you to attend. Yeah, so this email was to Jim Baker. So she told him not to attend it or that he didn't have to. Number 16, the government was in constant contact, not just with Twitter, but with virtually ever, every major tech firm. And these included Facebook, Microsoft, Verizon, Reddit, Pinterest, and many others. Industry players also held regular meetings without the government. Oh, oh, so there was fucking collusion. Now we know. 
I mean, that's not a surprise, but now that's evidence, right? That, that, that yeah. Anyway, number 18. One of the most common forms was a regular meeting of the Multi-Agency uh, Foreign Influence Task Force, FITF, uh, attended by spates of executives, FBI personnel, and nearly always uh, uh, one or two attendees marked OGA. So have they had at least two CIA people there, right? Most of them are all FBI, except for like two CIA guys. The FITF... Hey, feel free to slow down a little bit. Yep, sure. <laughs> I read fast. The FITF meeting, this is number 19. Uh, the FITF meeting agendas virtually always included at near the beginning an OGA briefing, usually about foreign matters. So hold that thought. So this is a CIA basically giving them a status on what's going on. And uh, here's an email from Elvis Chan, San Francisco field office. To everybody, uh, it has an agenda. It's got Russia status. It's got the IRA update, the OGA briefing, APT 28 update, China status. So that's PRC, APT 31. Uh, and then the global status includes Iran, Venezuela, and North Korea. And then planning for the elections, FBI posture, your posture, and information sharing channels and methods. Uh, huh. Interesting stuff. So the email to Stacia Cardill at uh, Twitter, as well as Ewell Roth and some other people from Elvis Chan reads, Hi, Stacia, I know it's bananas right now over here. I'm wondering if we can get to something on calendar over the next round of FITF meetings. Uh, here are the open dates and times, which are left, and there's a bunch of dates there, plus, uh, you know, the IRA, OGA, blah, 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 blah. And on the OGA briefing, it says software and influence campaign against Ukraine. So I guess uh, they were concerned that the Russians were running an influence campaign against Ukraine. And this was in 2020. Yes, it was uh, July uh, 30, 2020. So number 20. Now, um, despite the official remit on foreign influence, the FITF and the San Francisco FBI field office became a conduit for mountains of domestic moderation requests from state governments, even local police. Here's one, uh, one example here. It's an email from Elvis Chan to Stacey Cardill and a bunch of people at Twitter. It says, hi, Stacia. FBI Minneapolis uh, requested that I put you in touch with Lieutenant Hoff about some recent activities, which I've provided below. I'll let you two take it from here. Thanks. And it is uh, links to two tweets, uh, something called TC Park Responder, and it's two statuses there. I'm not really sure what they want with those tweets. Uh, many requests, uh, says Matt Taibbi, arrived via the teleporter, the one-way platform in which many communications were timed to vanish. So that's how it works, right? So um, they give you uh, download access to teleporter. You just download the file. It just goes away. And uh, and one of the files I sent was the FBI San Francisco election EOC threat intelligence. Um, especially as the election approached in 2020, the FITF slash FBI overwhelmed Twitter with requests, sending lists of hundreds of problem accounts. Hundreds, yeah? Not dozens, hundreds. Um, let's see here. What did Elvis send them? Yeah, just a shitload of accounts. Just super big. Um, and says here, the FBI San Francisco Emergency Office, uh, sorry, Operations Center sent us the attached report of 207 tweets, which they believe may be in violation of our policies. Spreadsheet included. Thank you, Stacia. And she forwarded that to her team. So, you know, it's funny how, uh, just want to, a brief aside, it's funny how they went from focusing on foreign, uh, threats 
to now domestic threats, right? It's like uh, mission creep. Anyway, number 23. Email after email came from the San Francisco office heading to the election, often adorned with an Excel uh, attachment. And here's one such email. It says, Hi, Stacia. Our FBI Baltimore uh, identified Twitter handles, these Twitter handles and tweets, which appear to provide misleading information on the time, place, or manner of voting in the upcoming elections. We believe that they may violate your terms of service and bring them to your attention. And we would appreciate feedback regarding this matter. Thanks. And it's just a Excel spreadsheet that had a ton of people's names in it. We can't read the file. I don't think he has it available, but it's there. It's pictured. Um, 24. There were so many government requests, Twitter employees had to improvise a system for prioritizing and triaging them. That's pretty insane. There was just so many. So this is Stacey Cardell. Um, in an email titled, Prioritize Elections Escalations to a whole bunch of blanked out names says, hi, dash, 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 uh, hope uh, you are all both well. I want to reach out about election-related escalations. As you know, with the adoption of the unified escalation tool, so this is a tool that they uh, that Twitter developed, and the de- deprecation of the go slash elect- uh, election escalations, um, we have uh, uh, we have been sending all elections related requests directly to get support for review. That these are all their internal processes, I believe. Uh, we're having some issues with the backlog impacting our elections efforts. The folks on this email represent the DC public policy, legal, and comms teams working on elections. Generally, we are the ones escalating the high priority content, whether it is high profile or coming directly from government partners, specifically pop policy and I escalate reports from the FBI, the DHS and state election officials or the election integrity project run by Alex Stamos. Huh, I wonder who that is. Comms escalates a lot of uh, content tied to press inquiries about election issues. Is there some way we can figure out an accommodation to prioritize uh, the reports we escalate, particularly in light of deprecation or of uh, the go slash election escalations? I think that was the program that they had uh, gotten rid of. Uh, although every hashtag tweet is valued, I believe that it is likely our reports are the most credible and the most urgent, at least for the next week. Uh, really appreciate any assistance or guidance you can provide. Thanks, Stacia. Okay, number 25. The FBI was clearly tailoring searches to Twitter's policies. FBI complaints were almost always uh, depicted somewhere as a, quote, possible terms of service violation, even in the subject line. So they knew how to, um, they knew how to massage their, their requests for banning things, right? If they just said, hey, ban this, Twitter might not act. So instead, they'll be like, hey, we believe this violates the terms of service, and Twitter will immediately act on it. Number 26, Twitter executives noticed that the FBI appeared to be assigning personnel to look for Twitter violations. Okay. Um, 27, quote, they have some folks in the Baltimore field office and at HQ that are just doing keyword searches for violations. This is probably the 10th request I've dealt with in the past five days, remarked Cardell. And uh, the email attachment is the same thing. Uh, Number 28, even ex-FBI lawyer Jim Baker agreed, quote, and this is what he said. Uh, but also odd that they are searching for violations of our policies. So it's like, okay, so, you know, just as an aside here, it seemed like the FBI team had kind of had too much time. Okay, uh, Ian, let's read the email from 27. And again, slow down a little bit. You're going too fast. Am I going too fast? Okay. All right, I'll read the email. It's it's the same thing. The, the quote is the same, but she said, 
they have some folks in the Baltimore field office and at HQ that are doing keyword searches for violations. This is probably the 10th request I've dealt with in the past five days uh, or last five days. I've never typically include a huge distribution on it because there wasn't really a need for this kind of visibility. Let me know if you have any other questions. And uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, Jim Baker responds... Yeah, uh, there's people DMing me and saying I'm not going too fast and that I'm going too slow, which is okay. So I'll just read however uh, at whatever speed I choose. Uh, it says Jim Baker replies, but also odd that they are searching for violations of our policies. Yeah, so just as an aside, as I was saying, uh, it seemed like the FBI had way too many hands there and too much time on their hands, and they were just looking for people for violators, not even necessarily reports. They were just doing keyword searches, right? Just typing into the search bar to find violators so that they could say, hey, we're doing our jobs. Pretty pathetic, actually. So so quick question before we continue, because uh, we're more than halfway through. Um, yep. So in brief, from what I understand so far, it, it just keeps showing more interference from the FBI and the CIA as well earlier. Is that right? Yeah, it just shows that there's a much broader scope now with many more agencies involved. So a joint effort. Uh, when we talk about the deep state, <clears throat> we're not just talking about one agency, right? We're talking about the CIA, the NSA, uh, Department of Defense, Pentagon, FBI. And they all seem to have a role in what's happening here with uh, policing, uh, political uh, speech before an election with Twitter. Yep. And another point, and you highlighted it as well, Ian, and that's the collusion part as well between various social media platforms and various tech companies. So yeah. uh, we, it was one of the points mentioned earlier, but it kind of confirmed what we, what we already, you know, kind of know and that there was collusion. Now, um, I, I'm just for the audience, that's not necessarily bad, but it does open up the, the, the opportunity for them to, you know, to collude on things that are not too kosher um, and government requests. So I think what's, a, a what's, centralization what's, of power. Yeah, Maria, I think what's so relevant here is that in the first Twitter files about the FBI, what we learned was that they already had the laptop, right, in December 2019, that they would have gone through that material to see if it's, you know, a danger to the president, the laptop, the Hunter Biden laptop. And here we see them all working in concert, you know, with other agencies, and their effort was to shut down the story, to keep the truth from the American public so that their voting is not influenced by this kind of inconvenient truth. And this just adds, on top of it, another layer where now more agencies are involved, including the CIA. And don't forget, it was the 51 former and current Intel officials that issued the statement saying that the Hunter Biden laptop is likely Russian disinformation or has all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. So they're all working together. They all understand this laptop is out there. It's going to become public. And they work in concert to try and uh, change the outcome of this election. It's also worth keeping in mind that most companies in general, like, say, telecommunications companies, uh, Verizon, for instance, 
they do not work like this with the FBI or the CIA or anybody else. They require a court order for anything, right? We've heard from people who are current and former FBI agents uh, who have had to deal with uh, companies like Verizon or even, you know, Amazon, really. And it all, always requires a court order. It's not easy to get them to do anything. They don't want to do anything because it's a violation of their customers, right? Their customers' privacy. So they tend not to do anything. Whereas in uh, with Twitter and, to my understanding, Facebook, they are just happy to do anything at all that the government asks them to do, which is why this is so egregious, right? This is so abnormal that they are able to use Twitter as a, effectively as a, as a tool of their propaganda. Yeah, it's a complete abuse of power. And, uh, you know, I've made a tweet a couple of days ago that I have a legal team looking into the avenues that we can take um, to take action against this. And there are so many numerous breaches of law. Uh, you know, it's it, this is going to backfire big time uh, for them. And I'm looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. I think you sent me a message on that. I, yeah, I didn't get back to you. <laughs> Actually, Fidgetal, did you go through before that would be interesting. Um, Can you hear me first, Ian? Yeah, I can hear you. Ah, oh, perfect. Cool. Um, yeah, Fidgetal, did you go through the drop and, and uh, did you have anything to add to Kim's comment um, in terms of the legal risks available now for Twitter? I'm not sure if you've got an opinion on it yet. I think, you know, my standing opinion is that there's not much risk. Uh, there's not much standing, to be honest with you, for anybody to make a claim. Oh, you got a lot of background noise. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we're curious if would collusion. One more question, Fidget, because I know you're out like most people that have a life, <laughs> unlike me. But one more question: the collusion aspect of it. Um, is there any legal repercussions there? No, there's no standing. Is the problem? There's no. There's no. Uh, what is? There's, no, there's no harm. What is your background in law to to make statements like that? Twelve years of practice. Okay, and so so you're saying you don't see any issues uh, legally with any of this? No, I just don't think there's a, a private right of action. There's no actionable harm or damage is the issue. Well, let me give you a couple of things, right? Look at 42 U.S. Code 1985, conspiracy to interfere with civil rights. Look at the Hatch Act. Uh, you know, there's so many examples. Just uh, Maybe you should invest some time before you make stupid uh, comments like that. I, I, I... I, I didn't call. I didn't. I didn't call that things you say stupid. So let's 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 keep it simple, please. Yeah, go ahead, Brian. Jim. I, I I mean I, I echo what Fidgetal says. I'm not an attorney, of course, so I'm not going to give it le any legal opinion here. But I, for there to be a crime here would mean that there's things were missing. So is it possible a crime took place? Yes. Do we have evidence that a crime took place from these Twitter files? No, I don't think we have that right now. You know, you, uh, you and your brother, is it your brother who's also uh, operating under the same name? Uh, he has his own account. Yeah, but I mean, you guys always come in here. You you said there's no evidence about the emails uh, of the Hunter Biden laptop because they don't have headers. You're just always running interference. And, you know, it looks like you have an agenda because the things you're saying are just not adding Kim, up. Kim, 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 you're not even an American citizen and you're giving conspiracy theories out here. I just, all I'm doing is trying to counter your conspiracy theories with information and facts based on what we know. Sure, there could be legal so actions that took place. You're, you're calling this 
you ca you're calling this conspiracy theories when I'm pointing you jumping out to conclusions. I'm calling that you jumping to conclusions that a crime took place without any clear evidence that a crime took place. A conspiracy theory. Well, I just provided a couple of uh, uh, acts under the U.S. law but the hacked that, act that, that make it very Let's clear. Do. Let's do it. Let's go, guys. I think we should let's get uh, let's do a room with lawyers maybe next week or after the files are done. And can we go through all of them, dissect them, and see what we can find? Yeah, let's um, get some extra lawyers on this. Good yeah, time. Yeah. I mean, so, should also uh, get a couple of observers. Like Tom Fitton knows a bunch of stuff. Yeah, no, Jim, well, you wanted it, to jump in and yeah, Jim, uh, thanks, thanks, Jim. Thanks you know, for waking uh, me up, Mario. For this. I I want to say something yeah. to you because I think this is important. And give me give me a minute here. Um, you know, you, you say it's important to hear all sides, right? But you're also inviting people in here. I mean, to, for someone to call me a conspiracy theorist and to say there's nothing to see here. I, like I didn't need, say there's nothing to, to see here, Kim. Yeah. Uh, you, you need to be a little bit more careful that you don't invite people into the space that are literally just here uh, to whitewash everything that's happening in these Twitter files. Because everyone who, who looks at what's happening here can clearly see there's a government pattern and an agency pattern to try and change the outcome of an election. And for someone to come in here and say, this is nothing burger, we've seen nothing criminal here. You know, that's just, you need to be a little bit careful, Mario, who you are inviting into these spaces. Tim, I'm, Tim, I'm with you, I'm with you. Tim. I think I, I want to give Brian, go ahead, Brian. I'd like to quickly respond, and then we'll go to Jim. Tim, all I'm doing is pointing out what we have as facts and evidence. You're jumping onto things and saying that this means this when we don't have evidence of that. Does that mean that you're... Theory is incorrect. No, it, it doesn't mean that. Isn't it kind of like moving the goalpost, though? I mean, well, you know, unlike before, you, they'll be I, like, well, I, there's I, no emails, and then we get the emails, and they're like, well, the emails don't exactly show this, and then, we, you know, when the emails do show that, you're like, well, you have to prove it in court. And no, like, there's, there's, the there's just no evidence of a crime right now. And you just talk to it. Well, you, you don't you're think wrong it's a crime that. for them I, to suppress I, American I, voices? I, I can tell you why you are wrong. Brian, what would you have to so see for think... you to believe that there's damning evidence that calls for a crime? What would you need to see for that? I, I would need to see some kind of evidence that the FBI made actions that they're making not to not to stop election interference, but to to try and but there's convince. no election interference though there that's is, the thing it's based elect... on the big lie there was based on the big lie there was no you, russian collusion you don't votes. think russia so has when, when think... they're creating these mandates wait, wait, wait. based on a hoax to silence and suppress americans from having their free speech that is a crime yeah, right yeah, it should yeah. be a crime do i mean you... that's something that needs to be charged in or tried yeah, in, uh, in you... the court of law for sure do you believe that there are people in russia or people in north korea or china who are on Twitter spreading misinformation about the U.S. elections? You don't believe that's happening, Brian? Are, are you a don't Democrat? Believe that these people were. I, I I believe that all the people that got suppressed in this, these files are Americans who are just either telling jokes or they genuinely believe what they were saying, and they should not be suppressed for that. That's their freedom of speech. But, but do you think that I should be able to go on to Twitter and say, "Hey, this polling place is closed right now." Do not vote here, even though it's open, because I want to try and influence an election. Do you think that should be allowed? So, so, so let me let me jump in there because the answer to that question, Brian, is yes. Now, yeah. is it good or is it right? 
It's not, not in every case, and in fact, not in most it. cases. Well, Jim, that is hold, hold, no, it is not. Yes, it is. It is not. No, Brian, it is not illegal for someone to say stupid. Spreading misinformation no, in order to mis- influence an election listen. is an illegal act. Okay, let me let me throw something out here for you, Brian. Give me give me the floor for just a moment. Let, let me just say this: there, misinformation is not illegal. In fact, to the contrary, if the First Amendment protects even stupid talk, so you know that's that's really what's at play here. And and as a kind of an underlying legal background here, and I'm not a lawyer, I'm just a, a guy that worked in D.C. on Capitol Hill for a lot of years and been involved in this political game for a while. But the the, the reality is this, that the FBI never has authority without a warrant to work with organizations involuntarily. And because of what they are trying to accomplish, and in this case, I think we do have evidence that they are attempting to influence the information that's going out and across Twitter, including immense information. And by the way, the, the worst crime is they're actually we're working with Twitter to shut down information. So let's not forget that, Brian. But but it's not the FBI's role ever to um, uh, massage companies to do their will. It is in their interest to do so if they are have an investigatory purpose or role in something they're trying to do, but they have no legal authority to do that. There very well may be crimes that have been committed by the FBI and this rollout and the other one that Matt did, I don't, I don't think uh, uh, the, the previous one related to the military is necessarily one of those, but these other. Okay, so let's just go back on topic. I will just say one thing real quick. When someone comes in here and tells you that I shouldn't be talking about this because I'm not even American. You, Tim, you attack me first. Hey, I'm talking now. Okay, you be quiet. I'm talking. Um, When someone comes in here and tells you I'm not an American, uh, this is a conspiracy theory, right? And uh, the legal advice that I had of some of the acts that I've already quoted clearly showing that this is unlawful behavior, you just need to understand that there are people here running interference, people that don't like this stuff uh, to be out there. And just keep that in mind. This is an open space where anyone can join. And I don't know why these guys are speakers here on this panel, but they are clearly having an agenda because they're coming here every single space every single drop of Twitter files running interference. So what I suggest is we just move forward now with Ian reading the rest of the tweets, and then let's have the discussion. Can do. I can totally do that. I'm not going to complain, Ian, because I, I, want, I want this uh, this job to be quick and short so we can, <laughs> we can enjoy Christmas. Go ahead, man. Yeah, that's true. Okay, I was at number 27, I believe. I will just go back to that. Okay. Yeah. Pass. I'm a 29, 29, 29, 29. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So uh, the New York FBI office even sent requests to the user IDs and handles of a long list of accounts named in a Daily Beast article. So, you know, just as a side, they're sourcing a, the Daily Beast. Now, the Daily Beast is not a good, reputable site. It's junk. It's a tabloid, right? Th- these are the guys who 
you know, will 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 run hit pieces on Tim Pool based on rumors that were said by someone who doesn't like him, and that that's a story for them, right? That it's just garbage. Senior executives say they were supportive and completely comfortable in doing so. So FBI gets the Daily Beast, and it has a fucking article that's links to right-wing media outlets duped by a Middle East propaganda campaign. Pretty funny. I actually know what they're referring to. Uh, it, but I won't really get into it. It's got nothing to do with the election. Actually, that, that has more to do with Middle Eastern politics. And then Yul Roth, uh sends a bunch of emails to people, and his email reads... Reupping our internal discussion. Any objections to sending the list of user IDs and handles? I'm comfortable doing so. Now, I just wanna, I just wanna note, as someone who actually un- knows what they're referring to here, I actually know this article. I've read it, and we actually, when it, we worked at Human Events, we were one of the outlets that ran an article written by a pseudonymous person who was part of this. Uh, I would, I would guess it's a, it's a think tank based in the Middle East. Uh, probably Saudi uh, was not friendly to the UAE, right? And here's the funny thing, though. Even though it was written anonymously, like using a fake handle, like it wasn't a real person, and we didn't know that at the time, uh, Human Events actually kept that article up. We didn't delete it. The, the, the reason being that the article was actually really good. Now, if they had written it under, under a real name, we would have no problem publishing it either. But they published it under a fake name, and that was outed somehow to the Daily Beast. And so the Daily Beast used that to run uh, this article claiming that all these right-wing outlets, these conservative and, and centrist websites, were duped by a, a, a propaganda campaign. It wasn't really a propaganda campaign. It was more like a think tank put out this uh, you know series of think pieces as, uh, like actually based on facts about uh, the United Arab Emirates and and that got outed you know probably by Saudi and I mean by UAE intelligence or something but regardless you you all clearly didn't read the article he just sent the list on and, and told people to go ban everybody the FBI was the FBI was clearly working with uh, you know with this foreign government to suppress uh, the Saudi I guess report or whatever which is interesting so you know there's a lot of shit happening here so anyway. what you're saying, uh, who, who determined this as misinformation? Was it the FBI? You're saying the FBI the determined it as misinformation because they read an article on the Daily Beast that claimed it was misinformation. But it wasn't really. It wasn't actually misinformation. It was actually based on facts. It was just misrepresenting, rep, rep, misrepresenting the writer, right? Like they, like it's like, it's like if I were to write a completely factual article, but I publish it under a different name, and then you ran the story not knowing that I had written it. And that you thought someone else had written it, like a non non existent person, that doesn't change the fact that the article is true, right? That everything in the article is the truth. It just changes who who it came from, right? <laughs> and 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 that was the gist of it. Like they claimed that everything in it in it was propaganda, but it actually wasn't. It was actually really well sourced, well backed up by research. So, yeah. Like it's it's really funny what they determine to be misinformation. Even just coming from the wrong person is considered misinformation. So if Vladimir Putin were to say the sun rises in the east, they'll be like, no, that's misinformation. The sun actually rises in the northwest. You know, it's absurd. So number one? yeah, number thirty. It seemed to strike no one as uh, strange that a quote unquote foreign influence. Uh, task force was forwarding thousands of mostly domestic reports along with the DHS about the fringiest material and this is one of the examples of I've never heard of this website it's called the American Report and the 
Title of the article is Biden using scorecard and the hammer to steal another U.S. presidential election, just like Obama and Biden did in 2012. The American Report, written by Mary Flanning and Ellen Jones on October 31, 2020. And then the article goes on about some uh, powerful supercomputer system known as the hammer. Uh, includes an exploit application known as Scorecard that is capable of hacking into elections and stealing the vote. According to CIA contractor turned whistleblower Dennis Montgomery, who is designed and built, and, and this doesn't appear to be like a real website. It appears to be like one of those spammy websites, but that was the, uh, that's a quality material. You know what the funny thing is about this? If the U.S. government wants this to be removed, there's probably some truth to it. <laughs> right. I mean, why yeah. Why else would they want to censor something that looks uh, uh, conspiratorial? <laughs> you know, stuff, they right? Feel... Now everybody needs to look yeah. up Hammer and Scorecard. What the hell is that? <laughs> Curious? I bet it's on Rumble somewhere, you know, or, or, or um, what's the other site? Uh, BitChute. Yeah, I bet somebody... <laughs> Video on it. I, I'm I'm looking it up, but uh, there was a General McInerney right after the election who was speaking to stuff like this related to Dominion. I could never validate that there was any truth from it, but he was a three-star general in the United States Army and was making claims of this. I'm looking it up now, and maybe as we're talking about it later, we can flesh it out. But there there was some discussion on this. But that is a weirdo-looking website. It doesn't matter yeah. what you think. Right, yeah, and why would they want that suppressed? Hmm. Makes you think. Makes you think. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to do some reading about the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, like, this site is probably just bullshit, but there's probably something to it as well, right? Like, why else would they be concerned about this? Hmm. Very strange why they would want to ban this. Okay, um, 31. Foreign meddling had been, and that's in quotes, had been a ostensible justification for expanded moderation since platforms like Twitter were dragged onto the hill by the Senate in 2017. Uh, this article in the New York Times that he links to says, tech executives contrite about election meddling, but make few promises in Capitol Hill. This is in 2017. This is when I think, uh, Jack was dragged on there. Uh, 32. Yet behind the scenes, Twitter executives struggled against government claims of foreign interference supposedly occurring on their platform and others. So, yeah, the FITF referral on the... This is a screenshot. FITF referral IRA account on Reddit. Uh, and then it says, status closed project. Uh, unified escalations. Effects of versions none. Fixed versions none. Security level SI restricted. Um, number three, uh, Twitter files show executives under constant pressure to validate theories of foreign influence, and they were unable to find evidence or key assertions. So, you know, this just just a tiny bit here. Going back to what, you know, Brian was going on about foreign influence stuff, Twitter couldn't actually find any evidence of it. Neither could Reddit, right? Is this is this is just the FBI going off half cocked, claiming that anyone posting about weird shit is a foreign influence operative or whatever. And, you know, there's a there's a good chance that the person could be Canadian. They could even be non-American to some extent, maybe European, maybe even Asian, right? But that doesn't mean they're a foreign influence operation. That, that there's no evidence that they're working for Iran or Russia or wherever else. This is just more nonsense from the FBI. 
Uh, yeah, 34. Exactly here. Number 34. It says, quote, found no links to the FBI, says one analyst, but suggested that he could, quote, brainstorm to find a stronger connection. So they, they couldn't even find any links to Russia, not any real ones and in, in, in any case. But they, they wanted to, you know, it's like, it's like, oh God, what's the quote from the one KGB dude? He was like, find me the man and I'll find you the crime, right? That's what they were doing. They would, you know, they would find somebody, some random fucking person, to see that he had said something crazy, and be like, hmm, I wonder how we can make him Russian. So here's the email. And this is from an analyst. It is written on, in 2022, in fact. This is, uh, I believe, on the 8th of, uh, of March. Yeah, on the 8th of March, 2022. This year. Quote, After I reviewed the accounts and found no links to Russia, um, I asked blank on this ticket, uh, uh, and this was his answer. Quote, thanks uh, for tagging in the workflow. From my checks, I could not find any indicators to suggest that the account uh, blank is Russian. Uh, even the phone linked accounts blank uh, does not have any indicators that it is a Russian proxy. Did checks on domain tools via IP resolves and email checks for OSINT. However, going by the content and narrative coming from the account, it is definitely pro-Russian and or could be a Russian proxy. I can brainstorm with blank and see that if we can dig even deeper and try to find a stronger connection. Gee, I wonder if that was my account <laughs> or yours. That is so that funny. Matter. I mean, think about <laughs> it. You know, anyone criticizing the war in Ukraine and saying that this yep. is a proxy war uh, is basically flagged uh, as mm -hmm. uh, sympathize the pro-Russian or a Russian proxy. <laughs> I mean, they would have yep. to delete a lot of people, uh, you know, just because they are not all in agreement with the propaganda that are being fed. Yep, unless you suck Zelensky's dick. Uh, you're a Russian agent. You're a Russian asset. You work for Putin. You're on the, on the uh, Russian payroll so to speak. It's like, come on. You're lying it's to people. Just, just by, the, by that statement, just to be clear for the audience, what uh, Ian and, and Kim mean is that if anyone questions the, the, the Russian war, and I'm not saying I question it, or, or what I'll... It doesn't matter what your opinion is, you know, you should have the ability to express that opinion. Um, of course. And that ability was taken away from you. So that's the, the main concern um, that we have here. Yeah. Number well, and you need to you, you oh. need to link that to the effort of the U.S. Uh, pushing their own propaganda, right? Yep. So not only do they want to shut down voices that are going contrary to what they are trying to achieve, but at the same time, they are putting out, you know, tons and tons of material uh, to justify the war and say, you know, Russia bad, and this is why we're doing it. Uh, so it's kind of uh, double problematic because not only are they committing propaganda against Americans in this case, but they are also shutting everything down that uh, goes against uh, what they are trying. Can to we say. bring Viva Fry up so as we, yeah, correct? Yes. Uh, yes, Ian, I'll let you do that. Um, and the I don't see um, him on the list. You you can do it. Yeah, I can't find him. Yeah, I'll send him through the invite. Um, so yeah, and, and we were talking earlier, I mean, Ian, about the. So what would make the the drop the last drop? Uh, by the way, we've got Tom uh, Tom on stage. Good to have you, Tom. What made the last drop um, concerning? Uh, no, what could make it significantly more concerning is if we saw concentrated efforts by the U.S. government to influence the opinion of of U.S. or European citizens. 
Because that would be but, the line that would concern us if that, if that line is crossed. If they did that, yeah, beyond trying to censor people. I mean, censoring people is really, really bad. I mean, it's illegal on the one hand. But trying to propagandize to American people or, you know, to American citizens against, uh, uh, you know, for, for, for like, uh, in, in a way that's nudging them, yeah, that would, that would also be a very serious concern. So let's keep reading here. Just quickly, uh, who do I, who do I invite before you keep reading? Viva Fry. Viva Fry. Is there any chance I could speak up for a second? Uh, yeah, sure, man. Well, invite Viva. So V I V A F R Y E. R F E R I. I don't know if he wants to come on though. She might just want okay. to be listening. Yeah, she could just send me a request if she does. I thought she requested. It's a he. It's a he. It's a he. He's yeah, a, thought, he's a thought... pretty well-known commentator. Oh, cool. I thought Viva Fry wanted to to request to speak. Yeah, no, I guess someone. Yeah, someone yeah. said that they, we should invite him. I thought he... No, he's yeah. not requesting. He's no, probably just laughing his ass off right now, just listening to us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... Oh, Viva, I've seen Viva. I can see his profile picture. Yeah, he's yeah. been in the audience before, so you can just DM if he wants to come up. Uh, yep. So what are you saying? Send him a request. Uh, yeah, someone was just jumping in, so I let him jump in, and then you can continue, Ian. Sure. Yeah, that that was me. Um, so, first of all, nice to see Tom fitting on here. I've met Tom a couple of years ago at AMP Fest in uh, Doro, Florida. Um, none of you know who I am or what my background is, but if you look at my profile, you can see I spent 23 years as a federal intelligence officer. I basically gave up my six-figure GS-14 income and potential retirement with the government, uh, government because I was, I was sick of some of the things I was seeing in government. In a lot of these conversations, man, I'm watching you folks, and I, I just I want to pull my hair out. It, so many of you are so close to the truth, but you're not. It, it's kind of like hitting all around the where to pin the tail on the donkey, but you're not going for where it's at. So I, I just want to point out a few things and kind of try to guide some of you in your research. Um, first of all. Does anybody know what governs collection of intelligence information for U.S. agencies? Is one my first? It's a question. It's a question. Who knows what what document or what statute or what executive order governs intelligence collection in the United States? And, and this is where I get frustrated because a lot of the people that speak on these issues have no clue. And that the answer to that question is Executive Order One Two Triple Three. So, if you want to get closer to the truth, look at Executive Order One Two Triple Three. It's an executive order. It's not a federal statute and all that. That is the primary document that governs intelligence collection. When you go from there and you read into it, look at the part that talks about collecting on U.S. persons. That's U.S. citizens, anybody that works for a U.S. company at home or abroad, anybody living within the United States. And then you look at where it talks about information freely given by a U.S. citizen. Well, shoot, that's dang near everything posted on social media. It was the person on social media posting that. So when Fidgetal talks about no legal basis, I could see his point, no legal standing, because one, it's freely given information that you're putting out there. Two, the end around to this is you are not supposed to collect or retain information on U.S. persons without the approval of the attorney general. Okay. I can tell you, having been in intelligence for 23 years, most of the stuff I know now, I did not know until I reached the GS-14 level. I did not know until I worked certain operations and certain missions. Your average intelligence officer has no, no clue. They're out there. They're doing their job protecting the country. 
believing all that and, and doing what they feel is right. The minute you step outside that line, you're ostracized. I had my clearance, uh, not taken away, but unable to renew it. Um, you know, my TSSCI, um, basically a code put on my, um, my records so that I can't be hired again by the federal government, uh, because I stepped out of line. Uh, I called some stuff that I'm like, look, this isn't right. Uh, especially when I was asked directly by a governor to collect intelligence against protesters, peaceful protesters. And when I refused because it's a violation of civil rights and civil liberties, I, I was removed. I, I was basically ordered that I'm going to be transferred up to DC to sit in a corner and color, be in charge of the see something, say something campaign. And, uh, you know, I'm like, no, at this point in my career, I'm not going to go and screen gossip. That's no, <laughs> not doing that. But look at Executive Order 12333 when it talks about retaining information. Where does the government retain most of their classified information anymore? You would think a government that's so secretive that wants to protect national security secrets would keep it within the government, right? Why is it going to Microsoft Azure? Why is it going to AWS? Why are they using those cloud platforms so heavily? Why? Why, why would they take that chance? Because it's not being hosted by the U.S. government. It's not being collected by the U.S. government. How do you avoid, how do you, how do you end around on all these legal issues? You buy data. You don't collect it, you buy it. You buy it. You store it on a cloud, you store it on a standalone system. So if the standalone system needs to disappear, it disappears. And one of the frustrating things from my point of view is nobody seems to care. I don't have a huge following. I'm not well-known commentator or anything Oh, we talk about it sometimes. It's just that we don't have any power, you know. Can't you know, stop it, them from selling data. Look, I get it. I get it. And that's that's and nobody gives a shit. We're the product. Yeah. We're the product, right? Social media is free, and we're the product. They're selling us. They're Absolutely. selling our information. Absolutely. Yeah. But I look at people like Tom Fitton, like I said, who I've met. They're actually taking actions, and that's what matters to me. All the talk, all the who's right, who's wrong, calling each other names. All that stuff. I, I want to see people take action because that, in, at the end of the day, that that's all that matters. And I'd recommend and that's exactly what's going to happen. There will be a lot of action taken, and uh, I don't understand why you have a problem with us, uh, you know, arguing about uh, these things. Uh, if the end result is that there will be legal action and consequences, then you know that's fantastic. Uh, even legal if that action has case, to go down the right path. Second, just a second. Even if legal action um, is prohibited because of, you know, the executive order that you mentioned or other technicalities, the public is learning something really important here. And I think the most important thing about what happened here is that the FBI had the Hunter Biden laptop since December 2019. They would have reviewed the data on it just to know, is there any threat to this presidential candidate? Can the data on this laptop be used uh, to influence him? So the FBI would have gone through the, the all the data on, on the laptop. They would have found a lot of, uh, you know, problematic items, you know, crimes that have been committed, uh, even the, you know, presidential candidate being entangled in business dealings with his son and so on. And with that knowledge, 
they went to social media companies and the media and told them there's nothing to see here. This laptop isn't real. This is Russian disinformation. Uh, and they censored it, despite knowing that there's a lot of problematic material on it. And that lesson to be learned for all Americans, I think, is the most important one. And now another thing that I would like to add, when you see press stories that are not even going into this, that are trying to make this about Elon and trying to uh, label the writers of these Twitter files uh, people that are just supporting a billionaire. You know, when you see press uh, stories that are trying to take this down as something, uh, as a conspiracy theory, or as nothing to see here, those are the people who are incentivized by the deep state to do these things. So you can be sure they're either on the payroll or they have some other power incentives to write this stuff because any fair-minded person who looks at what has come out understands that this is completely uh, unjustified, ridiculous, and wrong what the, what the FBI did here with the help of their uh, you know, other agency partners at the CIA and elsewhere. Kim, I, I want to push back on this idea that there is a payroll, a payroll specifically. I mean, there is a possibility that some of these uh, publications, you know, at some high, high level, uh, they are, you know, maybe have some cooperation or some pressure as well. But the idea that they're just on the payroll, I don't think that's accurate. A lot of people, I mean, uh, these journalists, for the most part, believe that and the narrative that comes out of it is because of they've sort of convinced themselves that it is the truth it is how they see this the story click right sorry ian what did you say uh it's a click these people yeah. agree with each other because it's like the it's like a hive mind kind of so they're not it is, necessarily it's a hive for mind. It, but they're yeah. serving the same purpose right and in the end they're still serving the same the same you know um well evil overlord if you want to call well, it that. it's it's part of it and it's part of it is just like the, you know you can look at the story in in different ways and different people look at it right because they you look at Elon right there's half of this well I don't know how people in this room feel but you know maybe not half but some people absolutely love him right see him as innovator somebody who's capable of great things he's you know even if he makes some mistakes along the way he's 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 doing great things right and other people see him as this horrible, horrible villain. And, and, you know, it's not like they're being paid <laughs> to, to have that opinion. And yet they strongly, strongly feel that way. So the idea that, you know, somebody's just being paid and I, you know, I'm, my background is in journalism, right? And if I get a story rejected, for example, you know, and it's going to be, if I'm going to try and place a story that's positive about Elon, the reason I'm being, if I get rejected, the reason it's going to get rejected isn't because it isn't because there is some kind of a payroll situation. It's because the the editors strongly feel that, that I'm wrong, right? And so it's it's way more of a bias so, and a perspective. Catherine, where, where do you think that feeling is coming from, though? Because the way I see it, what Elon is doing, he is showing, number one, 
that there is a conspiracy to influence an election. Number two, the beneficiary of that conspiracy was obviously the Democratic Party and the now uh, U.S. President Joe Biden. Everyone who is in that camp, being Democrat, being pro-Joe Biden, against Trump, they don't even want to look at the evidence that is being presented here. They just ignore it. And all they care about is that they need to defend uh, Joe Biden, this administration, the Democratic Party, because that's who they stood up for against Trump for all these years. Uh, And it's not anymore about logic, actually looking at the facts, uh, letting all of this sink in and, and call it for what it is an unlawful interference in an election. Uh, Well, there is. Yeah. I mean, Kim, I kind of agree with you, but at the same time, like, uh, yeah. So I was looking at an article, for example, the other day that was about the, I looked at all these mainstream media or legacy media, whatever you want to call it, articles. Did you you watch the post one that just came out? Uh, not that just came out, but I was looking at some other ones and just the Twitter files specifically. I was looking at how the Twitter files were being covered. So for example, one article, uh, criticized, you know, what was being made of, I mean, they all criticized what was being made of the Twitter files, but the focus was on, for example, uh, the, the, so the, the Hunter Biden laptop story suppression, right? So the, in there, the way that they characterized it was completely that the issue was that the Hunter Biden, uh, you know, it was legitimate for Twitter to censor that because it was at the time, you know, unverified. It could, they didn't want to be complicit in spreading misinformation. And so they were being cautious, right? And they completely omitted, because to me, the much bigger concern, because I'm, I'm not even, you know, I can understand that point of view, right? But the much bigger concern was really that the FBI was involved and that did know that this was valid. Um, so they did not cover that. Um, so I think so much of that is, is, is human nature and how people convince themselves. And that happens, you know, w- with any kind of extreme point of view where, you know, maybe you know, not being able to, when you push back so much, when you are so determined to win, uh, that you're not willing to sort of look at the facts, I guess. Well, that's, that's but their job is to here, report right? the living, news, right? Living in an environment, uh, just, uh, just really quick, uh, Project, I let you talk after. Uh, we're living in an environment where uh, politics are so divisionary and so tribal that even when there is clear evidence of a crime if it goes against your party and your candidates and your belief you will you will fight it no matter how clear the evidence is and this is what we have come to in the u.s and the big problem that most people don't see is the deep state is using that division and is using this as a benefit for them to get away with more and more stuff because they know that at least half of the country is not going to call them out for their... Well, when uh, you say deep state, Kim, what do you mean by deep state? And when you say using, how... If you don't know what the deep state is, just... No, I want to understand what you mean. No, I just want to understand what what you mean by these words. I mean what Google means. Just Google it. (laughs) We all know what the deep state is. Can we all stop pretending we don't know what the deep state is? Yeah, the deep state's a very real thing. I mean, it, it, it can, 
vary from person to person, but I mean, we've, we've had many talks about this. I mean, it's the, gov- the unelected government, right? The people, yeah. the bureaucracy who, wor- who work in government against the elected officials. Like that is what the deep state is. It's not complicated. It's, it, it, it's very simple. If like anybody can be deep state, right? And if you're all working in, in, in concert, maybe not even necessarily talking to each other, but you're all working to destabilize the, 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 the elected government, then you are the deep state. That's as simple as that. Every, every country probably has one. Yeah, well, are, are people kind of like, can, can we can we continue now with the remaining? Yeah, before before we do, just I want to give the mic quickly to Tom and then Kyle. I'll give you the mic at the end to kind of give us your thoughts because I know you read through the whole thing and I appreciate you coming. Uh, Tom, I uh, just give you the mic and then we'll get Ian to continue reading go th- going through the uh, the drop. Uh, thank you. A uh, great discussion as always, Mario. Thank you, Ian and, and Kim as yep. well. Uh, you know, we're we're in a crisis here. Uh, we have strong evidence, almost irrefutable, that the CIA and the FBI interfered in the 2020 elections. And it was, as Kim noted, it wasn't, you know, some sort of manipulation for a uh, vague result that advanced some sort of transnational interest. It was to help Joe Biden and target Trump. And in order to interfere in the elections, what they had to do was break the law and target the civil rights of potentially millions of Americans. And when you have the FBI, as these documents show, uh, going through and searching tweets for alleged violations of Twitter rules, when you have the CIA uh, obviously working in concert with domestic um, actors, Twitter and other big tech companies, uh, to manage information and target and suppress speech. Uh, you're talking about major violations of law that we thought had been settled in terms of what the agencies are and aren't able to do 30 years ago. And it just shows these agencies think the rules don't apply to them, and uh, they certainly don't apply to us. And I mean, us, meet people like me, uh, uh, those who are conservative, uh, President Trump, obviously, uh, folks associated with him, and the rules, the civil, you know, the constitutional rights that we all think we enjoy as American citizens, the deep state and partisans, namely Joe Biden and people allied with him in Congress and in the media, they don't think those protections apply to their political opponents. And when you use government agencies like these documents show uh, to uh, target people based on their political affiliations rather than for any lawful purpose, you know, that way lies the end of the Republic. And so uh, I'm sure the media is going to ignore this like they did the other ones, uh, uh, Twitter file drops. But we have the uh, prior drops showing the FBI interfered in the election uh, by censoring Americans and uh, helping Hunter Biden and Joe Biden manage this information by censoring it. And now we know the CIA was part of that operation. And uh, what's, you know, the question to me is what's what's the accountability going to be? What is the response going to be? Uh, the proof is there. And so we don't need, let me just say, and but this, you're going to hear a lot of Republicans say we need to have hearings. And I don't oppose hearings. I don't oppose investigations. You know, everyone listening should be at least assured 
uh, if Congress isn't doing it. Judicial Watch already is looking at all of this and has already uncovered a lot of information. But um, what is are, are people going to lose their jobs? Are people going to go to jail? Are agencies going to be defunded? I mean, that should be the debate, not whether we're going to hold more hearings and have two years of document fights from a House Republican Congress. Thanks. Thanks, John. Yeah, I, I agree with um, and I, I, I think where this has to go is uh, into the court system, uh, you know, and that's why uh, I focused on putting a team together, um, you know, paying the retainer and everything to just uh, investigate what are all the law breaches, what are the remedies that people have who have been victims of this manipulation, um, you know, and what are the avenues to get more discovery? Because what we are seeing right now is only the tip of the iceberg. These Twitter files are selected examples only affecting Twitter they are mentioning some other big tech companies, but we haven't seen any releases from them. So the goal re here really has to be uh, to get discovery uh, about what happened here, not just from Twitter, but from other companies that were involved in this, and to really open, uh, you know, this box completely. Oh, there's a little glimpse in a little corner of the box. Right. In, ter in terms of the impact, we have to remember Facebook has exponentially larger reach than Twitter. YouTube, uh, Google has exponentially larger reach than Twitter. Twitter is only a, a, a much smaller subset. It may have an outs outsized import. Uh, but in terms of the number of violations <laughs> and number of crime victims, uh, Facebook, uh, comparatively speaking, there are many, many more harmed through this activity on Facebook than uh, than what we're talking about on Twitter here. Ian. And that's honestly what pisses me off the most, okay? Because the way I look at it is this is not about Elon Musk. It's not even about Twitter. It's about the violation of people's freedom of speech. It's a violation of their freedom of expression. It's a violation of their privacy, right? And And no one seems to care about this. I mean, apart from us in here, right? No one in the mainstream media seems to give a shit about the fact that so many people, whether they're Americans or non-Americans, whatever, they were violated by Twitter, and not just by Twitter, but by the U.S. government, by various agencies in the U.S. government, who are not being held accountable at all. And this is supposed to be the media's job. The media is supposed to hold all these people accountable. Like someone like Julian Assange, you know, has tried to hold these people accountable. And what did they try to do? They tried to kill him, right? And now they're still trying to kill him. He's in prison, but they're trying to kill him, trying to starve him to death slowly. Um, you know, Edward Snowden, he's not the same as Julian Assange. He's a completely different beast. You know, he's a whistleblower. But he tried to, you know, hold the government accountable as well. And what are they trying to do? Well, they tried to kill him as well. <laughs> Imagine that. And, and, and no one seems to care about this, right? No one seems to give a shit that people are having their rights violated. People are having their, you know, their votes be, be rendered meaningless by all this manipulation that's going on. And I'm not talking about election theft, like what, you know, some people will allege that the election was stolen in the literal sense. No, I'm talking about manipulation, lies, deceit. That matters too. In fact, it matters more than any, you know, sort of like dominion manipulation or whatever. Because manipulation is the most fucking powerful tool that you have at your disposal, whether you're the, you're the good guy or the bad guy, right? The, the pen is always mightier than the sword. That's why... Well, the first thing uh, Stalin did was, you know, silence people, right? Silencing people is, is how you stop them from fighting back. And 
and no one seems to care about this. The journalists who have this ability to make people care, to hold these institutions accountable, are instead defending these institutions and attacking the only people who are speaking out, which would be Elon Musk and the journalists who are covering this. They're calling us conspiracy theorists. They're trying to paint uh, Barry Weiss and, and Matt Taibbi and whoever else as as uh, supporters of a billionaire. And they're calling Elon Musk a, a, an eccentric lunatic, right? This is, this is I, I see it in all their threats. They're all saying, oh, look, he said some crazy shit today. And they, they take it in the worst light possible to paint him as an unreliable narrator. Like as a crazy person losing his mind and that he's lost it. I mean, clearly he hasn't. Clearly he fucking hasn't lost it. He's clearly sane and lucid and he's more sane than most people, right? But Ian, do you think that if it was framed in a different way and it released in a different way that was a little more uh, nonpartisan, do you think it would have made a difference? It was How do you make something nonpartisan? I don't think. How do you make something this partisan nonpartisan, Catherine? So, How do you do that? So, Catherine, yeah, they're, they're complicit Catherine, in the what, crime. What you need right? to talk about corporate media. Yeah. Guys, I just want to. Uh, Ian, do you mind? I want to continue the the drop if you don't mind. Yeah, I think. That's yeah, good. I mean, I mean, Mario. Yeah, also, just just, just, just before we do this, really, really quick. Just before we do this really, really quick, everyone can just read about Operation Mockingbird. That was a CIA uh, operation that is clearly still ongoing uh, for the CIA influence on public opinion. They did pay hundreds of journalists to manipulate domestic American news media organizations for propaganda purposes. This is many, many decades ago. Just imagine the network that they have now, because if something like this works, you can be sure that the CIA is not scrapping it. They're expanding on it. So the scale of today's Operation Mockingbird is probably 10 times what it was during the Cold War. And that's why when you look at the news media today, you get so little truth. And they have been paying people. I mean, they paid Twitter $3.5 million. And on top of that, well, the well, British they're, they're Office, making which lists. is involved in all of this, have also paid influencers, right? They paid YouTubers to promote this stuff, to promote, you know, fighting back against election disinformation and also, you know, the, the, the lockdowns. They were paid. We, we have the files on this. Whistleblowers came out and no one seems to care that YouTubers are being paid by government agencies to promote certain agendas. No one seems to give a shit about it. Well, well, that's that's mentioned, Ian, if you, talk, if you talk about any other agenda... Guys, everyone's speaking at the if same you talk about any agenda. other agenda, your account gets shut down. Is all I was going to you say. Get, you so get on a list of, for wrong. It's thing, a catch twenty-two. Right? I mean, this is what guys, people need to understand. Yeah, I mean, I'll be uh, quick. quickly. The bro, basic quickly, is bro. ignoring all the ethical and criminal violations. We believe they're there. You have government agencies politicized using your taxpayer money to make lists of people with wrong think. If that doesn't worry you. Right. You're looking at basically Soviet barrier. Show me the man. I'll show you the crime. If they are lawless and they don't care what regulations are in place and they're willing to do anything, if they're making lists, what do you think the next logical step is? You have to ask yourself this and be concerned. 
Absolutely. Ian, I'll, I'll let you continue reading it. Tara, you just dropped out, by the way. I've just sent you an invite. Um, Ian, um, yeah, and also a quick shout out to, to Viva Frey. Uh, who, who's yeah, we should hear should speaking later. Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I don't know what the etiquette is, so I didn't want to pop in. Uh, oh, you can, uh, you, like, uh, before, yeah, before I read 35, yeah, go ahead, you know. All right, so I'll topic. just say, just two things sad. When people talk about being on the payroll, I, it's a figure of speech at this point. It just basically means that the method of corruption is that everybody knows not to speak against the narrative. So if you're a New York Times journalist, you might not be directly on the payroll, but you know what to talk about and how to cover it. Uh, the thing that concerns me about the FBI files and covering up is that they knew about it as of 2019. The question is, and I have a suspicion that they are weaponizing it themselves in order to coerce certain measures out of government. Because if it's got blackmail material in it, it's got blackmail material for foreign interests and for domestic interests as well, including intelligence. And if it's a little unclear, I'm just uh, I, I'm outside in blistering cold in this in this Canadian Arctic blast. You sound cold. But, you know, the, the, yeah, it's, it's very cold. But there's two ways to weaponize this information. And you know, the, the, CIA, the intelligence having compromising information on the president and his son that can be weaponized uh, on both ends. Yep. Yeah, and and more on just to add to what you just said, your previous point. Being on a payroll means not getting fired, you know. You don't want to be another Barry Weiss, right? I mean, whoever you know at the Washington Post reported this dumb piece that is in the uh, the top box there that I called out. He doesn't want to get fired. He doesn't want to, you know, be the one guy to to ask questions. They'll put another guy on it, and then what? You know, you're going to get the same article. So no one is speaking out against it. No one in the mainstream media wants to do it because they don't want to get ostracized. It's as simple as that. Okay, thirty-five. <laughs> extremely quote extremely tenuous circumstantial uh, chance of being related says another this was related to the again marking people as as russian assets or whatever and this is the whole email i'll read it out looked into this here and this is from an analyst at twitter saying looked into this here didn't find any exact naming matches and really any information to link the reddit accounts to uh, this is reddit by the way this is not twitter this is reddit to any on-platform presence at Twitter. Uh, this was one account that has an incredibly tenuous circumstantial chance, and he actually italicized that term, incredibly tenuous circumstantial chance, of being related. Uh, so documenting the account here, just in case we ever need to come back to it. Created in a similar time frame, Ari Login, suspicious English name. Yeah, and yeah, so the name is blanked out fortunately, for the guy. So it could be me, could be Kim, could be any n number of us, you know, anyone who who spoke out against the narrative. Quote, number 36, quote, uh, no real matches using the info, says former Trust and Safety Chief Yul Roth in another case, noting that some links were clearly Russian, but another was house rental in South Carolina? Question mark. So, yeah, like, I mean, obviously a lot of Americans are looking at looking at the Internet and they're finding these links and or finding their own facts, whatever, and they're posting about it. That doesn't mean they're Russian assets, right? It's absurd. Um, his email says, uh, no real matches using most of the information. Uh, the only thing that did turn up was the IP addresses and accounts using multiple from the provided. Even then, nothing looked particularly violative. Some clearly Russian, though, but also included a account for a house rental in South Carolina. Uh, Yul Roth, uh, not really uh, uh, anything worth taking out, but there are two personas linked to two clusters they might be interested in. Both appear to be Russian-like names. However, I wouldn't even call that a slam dunk since it was based on IP data, and I think at least one of them returned accounts in the form of the IP data doesn't at all look related. Interesting stuff. Number 37. In another case, 
uh, Roth concludes that a series of Venezuelan pro-Maduro accounts are unrelated to Russia's internet research agency. If you're unclear of what the IRA is, that is uh, a Wagner. A Wagner's the uh, the mercenaries, right? They run something called the Internet Research Agency. To my understanding, uh, I might be wrong here, so don't quote me on this. Uh, but they are believed to be promoting disinformation. But clearly, none of these accounts are even related to them. These are just normal Americans who are posting stuff. And it says here because they're too high volume. And so I will read his email. Hey, blank, thanks for reaching out. Couple of things and a quick review of this data. A few of the accounts whose tweets appear on your list are not IRA or Russian linked. In February 2019, we re-released our IRA linked data sets, excluding a number of accounts that operated uh, out of Venezuela. Uh, these accounts are extremely high volume tweeters, and they tweet quite a lot, uh, generally using automation in a way that is pretty uncharacteristic of a lot of other IRA activity. So I guess the people who work at IRA, they tend to tweet organically. They don't tweet, uh, they don't use automation. And so this was clearly just a Venezuelan operation or just a Venezuelan Twitter account. Uh, uh, we have very high confidence that they are not linked to the IRA or to Russian activity in any form. The current official data sets you can download from us do not include these accounts in the RU archive and instead include them in the January 2019 release of Venezuelan activity titled Venezuela January 29 set uh, to 764 counts. If you download the unhashed Venezuela release, you should be able to cross-reference and exclude. Also, at least a couple of the tweets I spot-checked were deleted by the users themselves. When they were first published... Uh, in our archives of Russian activity, we indicated that the excluded tweets deleted prior to the suspension of the account amounted to less than 1% decrease in volume of tweets, as best as we were able to tell. So whoever posted these, you know, quote-unquote disinformation or something that was like pro-Venezuela, it was barely, it barely made up any of their tweets. It was just a, a small portion of it, less than 1%. Uh, we could, had to exclude them due to legal constraints. Huh, interesting, legal constraints. Very interesting stuff there. So they know that some of this stuff may be violative. Hmm. But again, the volume here uh, sh uh, should be a very small part of the overall Russian activity. If you see something different after excluding Venezuelan accounts, let me know and I can dig back in. Thanks, Yol. Number 38. The Venezuelans, quote, were extremely high-volume tweeters, pretty uncharacteristic of all the other, a uh, lot of IRA activity, Roth says. 39. In a key email, news that State Department was making a wobbly public assertion of uh, Russian influence led to an executive, the same one with the OGA passed, to make a damning admission. So this is someone who works at Twitter, who used to work at the CIA. Uh, he made this admission. He said, quote, Due to the lack of technical evidence on our end, I've generally left it be, waiting for more evidence. Our window on that is closing, given that the government partners are becoming more aggressive on attribution. So this is an email from the OGA guy to Yul Roth and the integrity um, department or whatever at Twitter. And it says here, Infobricks uh, is an entity that we've received previous notice on. Uh, uh, though if recollection serves, government partners have never been so specific as to say it was directly controlled by the GRU. The GRU is Russian, okay? Bricks is an inherently Russian-dominated economic organization, so it was always likely that a website and Twitter account designated to promote it would be directed uh, by the Kremlin. Due to a lack of technical evidence on our end, I've generally left it be. Waiting for more evidence. I think that our window on that is closing, given that government partners are becoming more aggressive on attribution and reporting on it. I'm going to go ahead and, uh, I'm going to go ahead with suspension and marking the domain as unsafe. Hmm. 
Rebel Inside was also a new one for me too. Rebel Inside is also another website, right? Infobricks was the previous website. In- Rebel Inside was this other website that he's talking about. It says, was a new one for me too. Not sure what the goal of that account could be, uh, possibly uh, other than to highlight unrest in other areas of the world besides Russia. I've already suspended it and marked that domain as unsafe. So it's really funny how they don't have any actual evidence that these are Russian-operated accounts or that they're even doing anything that is, quote-unquote, promoting disinformation. They're simply suspending accounts here based on the the gut feeling that what they're doing is like pro-Russian in some way, even though it's like not actually pro-Russian in what in any way whatsoever. They're like just operating on hunches here. It's absolutely fucking ridiculous. Okay. Yeah, the other thing what uh, Joel wrote here that BRICS is an inherently Russian-dominated economic organization uh, just shows that he doesn't have a clue because this is uh, China, this is uh, India, India, this is South Africa. You know, there there are a couple of countries that at some point said we don't want the U.S. Uh, to uh, be the steward of the international financial system anymore, especially after 2008, the massive global financial crash that was all a result of poor U.S. controls on their uh, markets. You know, BRICS then said, we are going to move ahead and do something uh, uh, ourselves where we don't have a U.S. dollar-denominated financial system. Yep, that's right. So, yep. Number 41, so uh, Matt Tybee offers a translation for what uh, the the CIA guy means by more aggressive and government partners had closed uh, Twitter's window of independence. Uh, uh, Number 42, quote, other government agencies, that's the CIA, ended up sharing intelligence through the FBI and the FITF, uh, not just with Twitter, but with Yahoo, Twitch, Cloudflare, LinkedIn, and even Wikimedia. Wikimedia, if you're not familiar with that, is the company or the organization that is behind Wikipedia. So this is some broad spectrum collusion here, you know, going on between these organizations. uh, And it's all being directed by the FBI telling people what to do. And the email here, which is a very interesting looking thing, has a USA other, uh, Apple, Facebook, Reddit, LinkedIn, uh, Google, YouTube, Twitter, Verizon Media, Yahoo, and Wikimedia. So this is part of the email here. That, that was in the header. This is regarding all of them. The tear line says, the tear line must be used as is. No changes to the text or language are permitted. So this basically is just an order. So if you're forwarding the document, do not delete anything, right? The state of text, this is unclassified information. So this reads as follows. It goes, this information is provided only for intelligence purposes in an effort to develop potential investigative leads. It cannot be used in connection with any foreign or domestic court proceedings or uh, any other legal, judicial, or administrative purposes. Um, Another one, it says, uh, we previously passed uh, you the information that highlighted as part of Russian uh, mogul Yevgeny Prigozhin's Internet Research Agency. That's a Wagner guy. He's a guy who owns Wagner. Uh, Attempt to uh, denigrate French President Emmanuel Macron's campaign ahead of the late uh, April 2022 presidential runoff election. The IRA plans to expose its own troll farms in Benin, Mali, Senegal, uh, and Mali and Senegal, while alleging that Macron's campaign was enti- uh, was the entity responsible for their use and creation. Uh, we assess the following links, also part of the IRA's effort to amplify the same narratives. And these are all uh, very Africa-focused websites, including NetAfric, uh, theworldnews.net, bamada.net, senego.com, piaafrica.com, and nios.fr. So these are mostly in French. They're, yeah, they're all in French. They're 
in these, these uh, countries that were previously under the um, colonialist control of the French government and, and actually to an extent are still beholden to the French government in terms of their governance, right? They, yeah, they're not really independent. Uh, France controls them. And so, uh, yeah. Ian, very important. Uh, this uh, number 42 uh, relates to other government agencies. And what we learned earlier is that that is the CIA. Yeah. And it means that uh, here dealing with all of these U.S.-based technology companies, what we call big tech, uh, they're basically providing for intelligence purposes information about a French election. So because the French are an ally uh, to the United States and they like President Emmanuel Macron, uh, who's working closely with them, they are basically briefing big tech in the U.S. about a threat that the CIA has identified that could denigrate uh, French President Emmanuel Camp uh, Macron campaign uh, in the April 2022 uh, uh, election, presidential election. So it's quite interesting that the CIA is using big tech not only to protect their favorite candidate in the U.S., but also using their power with big, big tech to uh, pro provide cover fire for their European uh, favorite partners. That's right, yeah. And furthermore, they don't actually provide any evidence that this Russian-linked agency is responsible for any of these articles that are negative towards Macron, right, for all we know. And, I mean, look, people in Africa don't like France, right? That's just a fact because they were colonized. So the fact that they're speaking out and that there might be some editor at a newspaper who doesn't like Macron doesn't mean he works for Russia, but somehow... Right. Without providing any sort of evidence whatsoever, they're claiming that the Russians are responsible for these articles. It's like maybe give the Africans a bit of their own credit. You know, like I'm just saying seems kind of racist. <laughs> hey, Ian, do you mind if I kind of weigh in just a, a quick second on here? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So when you guys are looking at this, this is what's usually called a cable. This uh, this is a, a standard format that are that are shown up in the intelligence community. You know, it comes out like they've listed OGA. I've heard other people called OGA, by the way. So, you know, NSA sometimes gets stuff like that. But what we're looking at here is you're seeing USA slash other. That would normally be the receiving agency. So whether, you know, whether it was a U.S. agency or otherwise, other is telling us that it's going to a company. I just think it's really interesting to look at that. And if you look at the, the language, things like we assess or we, we assess with certain confidence, you know, that's an analytical product. And so it's coming from analysts. These are not always reviewed at a very high level. They're put out by somebody, um, you know, that might be a, a frontline worker and then reviewed by a, a, you know, one level supervisor and then can be disseminated, you know, broadly by that um, because they're not meant to be taken as fact. Um, but that's not necessarily communicated to people who get them and don't know what they're looking at. So when you're dealing with this, and, and these are explained in the next couple of tweets up there, um, you know, in some way, I think, but I think just adding a little bit of, of meat to it, you know, certain language indicates who wrote it and what their backgrounds are. And I think I've told you guys previously that when you're talking about people in the analytical space, most of these people are highly educated. They have a lot of, you know, university time or, you know, time with advanced degrees. And that also sort of uh, predetermines the way that they're going to look at the world in some ways. So they also don't have to be right. That's the, that's the really big thing about analysis. They don't have to be right, but they sort of want to be right because obviously the more accurate you are, the better off you look. So they're actually vested in these opinions, which are opinions. 
You know, they're they're not based on fact uh, per se. They're based on some evidence. And then they do a lot of legal, you know, sort of a logical jumps. And unlike people that worked in the space that I did, where your job is to try to find some sort of prosecutable case, um, the standard of the evidence is sort of like what we feel in a good way sort of aligns with what we're seeing. But it's not that you would be able to put it in front of a jury. That's never going to be the case. So I think it's really important when you look at these types of, you know, cables, what we're looking at and why we're looking at them and what the how they're looked at internally, um, they're going to be a little bit different than what the way you guys are viewing them and reading them. Just, you know, one guy's two cents. But would you, you agree with, with this, a lot. that um, if, let's assume this is a CIA analyst who is tasked with, tasked with uh, identifying threats to President Emmanuel Macron for his coming uh, upcoming election, and then he puts this report together and sends it, uh, uh, you know, through whatever means to all these big tech companies uh, to help, um, you know, Emmanuel Macron to stop this type of content online that may harm his uh, election chances. Would you agree that that's, uh, you know, when it comes basically from a CIA analyst goes to big tech with the goal to protect one of their allies, do you see any problem with that? I see a bunch of problems with it, but there's two pieces to it that I think that are important. Um, number one, it's very possible that the person who created this analytical product Right. Who, who wrote from the from the line unclassified and down that person may not be the person who sent it. And so there's a there's a potential disconnect here where it is sent for a specific purpose. Like you can go find an analytical product that says pretty much anything that you you know, if there's any kind of ability to believe it, if there's any kind of evidence that would support your your thesis, you can go find these analytical products. Um, so it's possible that the person who sent it was sending a very targeted Uh, analytical product with that goal. I agree with you that there is a goal, there's a push, and it is uh, it has a specific lean um, that may not be the same as the analyst who wrote it. So I don't want to impugn the person who wrote that and came to these con you know conclusions. They're always saying yeah. it to, to to say you know here's five different things that may be true. Let's continue to look into them. But if you're only sending one of those, then you are very being very selective. That's an editorial bias sort of thing. So that that's yeah. the concern that I would have, that you're sending something with a specific editorial bias, that it's obviously leaning towards the, the exact statements that you've made about, you know, supporting an ally and so on. And so yeah. when you do that, um, it can be sent as though it is more authoritative than it would otherwise be looked at internally. And, I, and I, that's really the key, that when you get these pieces, um, we don't know the context you know, I, I talked to Matt about these things beforehand. So I talked to him about him for the last two days. Um, and he decided to drop them on Christmas Eve on us. So, um, so but I knew that, you know, we can, I would like to make a, I would like to make another point here. And, uh, yep. this is important. That's why I, I think we should talk about this. A lot of people in Europe wonder why their leaders are so eager to work with the U.S. Uh, on Ukraine and, uh, you know, to to be so negative about uh, Russia. And isn't it interesting when European leaders benefit from the CIA and its connections to big tech, which is all based in the U.S., and the U.S. has basically the power, as demonstrated by this document, to change an election in European countries? What if the CIA was not actually looking after Emmanuel Macron, but using the power uh, in the other direction because they don't like him anymore and, uh, you know, use their big tech uh, uh, connections here to 
change elections in Europe. I mean, isn't this kind of power, which I think must be totally transparent to European leaders, a big problem that big tech can be used for or against them? And that's why they are in bed with the U.S. deep state, because they depend on them for this kind of protection. I think it can be simultaneously true that um, that this is a legitimate tool of statecraft, you know, using influence on uh, domestic, um, you know, um, companies and, and the abilities that they have to sort of shift those relationships. I know Israel uses them very, you know, uh, when it comes to moving military technology, we do the same thing. So do all the other Western powers. I'm sure all the other um, unaffiliated powers are, are sort of a semi-hostile powers to us do the same. But that doesn't mean that uh, as an American, I'm really crazy about this lack of transparency. I don't know that we owe any transparency to the European nations or European leaders. You know, I'm an American first and, and, I, and I'm kind of unapologetically so. But at the same time, we owe probably that transparency to our people. And freedom is a dangerous thing. Like is this, if this country is going to be free and we are exposing things to our citizens, then, then the whole world gets to see it too. And yeah. so, you know, when they're weighing in on these things, I'm, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with the way these tools are used. Um, and I think you'll see that that's the case when you keep reading onward. Um, but, um, you know, my, my specific allegiance is, is very specific and, and I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to mince words about where that sits. So, just, you know, you know what I find so interesting about this too is that Emmanuel Macron is always the guy who talks to Putin, right? Who tries to uh, use diplomacy to resolve some of these issues. I'm pretty sure Putin and his spies must be aware of the close relationship between the CIA and Emmanuel Macron. And how can someone like Putin attend take Macron seriously when he comes to him to talk about peace, when he knows that Macron is dependent on the CIA to protect his election chances. I'm sure yeah, that undermines a, him. You know, go, go ahead. Yeah, just Tyler, before you guys finish up. Yeah, yeah go, and then Ian, we've got a few, if not many points left, we can finish it off. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So one of the things that the, the folks that were counterintelligence against the Russians, um, you know, they often say that Russia is looked at as as this threat because we have this historical context of the cold of the Cold War. You know, that's what I grew up in. That's that's the world that I grew up seeing as them being sort of the enemy, the the um, the superpower that matches the United States. But I, I don't know that that's the case anymore. The, the people that I've worked with that that are in that sphere and work, whether it be Russian um, espionage or counterproliferation and so on, they don't have that same instinct. They, in a lot of ways, Russia punches way over its weight. Um, because of the way that they move their spending around, the way that, you know, they're, they're willing to put money, um, when their GDP doesn't really have that sort of power. You know, the Chinese ha- obviously have a much stronger, um, status on the world scene at this point. So it, you know, I'm sure that they're aware of these things. I'm sure that they, because th- they have a very sophisticated intelligence apparatus. They know when they're being worked with. They, they are probably, you know, one of the two most sophisticated intelligence apparatuses on the planet. So you, you can't discount their knowledge set. But also, I think they also know that they're playing from a, a position of weakness a lot of times. So they have to kind of bluster a little bit and, and puff up. Um, I don't know, it's, it's just worth knowing those kind of things as you're looking at these, these uh, documents. Yeah, what I find so, so interesting about that particular document is that the CIA uh, is using its assets and its efforts to protect President Macron in France and his presidential campaign. So that's quite telling. Ian? Yep, I'll just say, uh, uh, well, I'll just keep reading, but before I say that, I'll say, don't underestimate the Russians. <laughs> 
But also don't, you know, blow shit out of proportion because, you know, the way things are going, everything is a Russian asset or a Russian disinformation campaign, even when it's just Americans. That's that's the issue, right? The Russians have managed to project themselves so well to the point where Americans look at each other and be like, are you Russian? Uh, that's a bit ridiculous. This is the, uh, the boomer Cold War mentality. It's uh, infected everybody. Okay, number uh, 44, and this is a quote from, uh, sorry, 43, John Kiriakou, who is the uh, former CIA agent and whistleblower. He believes that uh, he recognizes the formatting of these reports. He talked to Matt Taibbi, he says, looks right to me. Uh, and he notes that what was cut off above the tear line was originating, uh, it was the originating CIA office and all the copied offices. So yeah, you were right. It was a, it was a cable that was sent. Yeah. Um, 45. Many people wonder if internet platforms receive direction from intelligence agencies about moderation of foreign policy news stories. It appears Twitter did, in some cases, by the way, of the FITF slash FBI. These reports are far more factually controversial than domestic counterparts. One Intel report lists accounts tied to Ukraine neo-Nazi propaganda, and that's in quotes, Ukraine neo-Nazi propaganda, and this includes assertions that Joe Biden helped to orchestrate the coup in 2014 and put his son on the board of Burisma. And it's a, it's basically a, a slideshow here um, of uh, pictures. The first picture is suspected Russian troll farm, Ukraine propaganda, and it says monitoring indicates that a suspected Russian troll farm is propagating disinformation on Twitter about the U.S. and Ukrainian governments to support Russian actions in Ukraine. Um, and there's a spike uh, in the mentions of Ukraine observed on 24 February 2022. You know what's really funny about the spike is that everybody was talking about Ukraine since that was when... Uh, 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 Russia invaded, uh, you know, Ukraine. So why the hell wouldn't it be a spike? The key findings are 999 Twitter profiles linked to suspected Russian troll farm. Over 16,000 tweets mentioning Ukraine in the past seven days. The top influencer, blank name, has been mentioned 3.9 thousand times. Uh, mentioned in 3.9 thousand tweets. Roughly 24 percent of all tweets mentioning Ukraine. The profile was created on 28 November. Uh, 2011. It's over 11 years old. The profile is, uh, the location is listed as hashtag Belarus. And the backup profile was created on, this is that same person's backup profile, is created on uh, 23rd November 2022, listed in uh, something blank bio, uh, likely in preparation for suspension or deactivation of the primary profile. Uh, interesting that it would uh, actually collate this information. Prevailing narrative emphasizes similarity between current Ukrainian government and Nazis during World War II, attributes the Nazification to the U.S. government, see example of content, and over 91% of the content gathered is English, which may indicate that Western audiences are the primary target audience. Spike in Twitter activity on 24 February 2022, synchronized with a Russian military advancement in Ukraine. And some of the uh, sample of the images would be uh, memes and photographs of actual uh, Ukrainian Nazis. So uh, one example is a picture of a skull with a bunch of uh, with a Nazi symbol on it that says the denazification of the Donbass and the Ukraine is underway. And the second picture, which shows a picture of the Azov Battalion's flag uh, and a rally of the uh, the Azov neo-Nazis, uh, quote, uh, Ukraine is a festering sore crawling with ultra-violent neo-Nazis, a brutally lowbrow political class and infested with utterly corrupt oligarchs, end quote. That was the tweet. Another tweet is uh, shows a picture of Joe Biden. Uh, it's a collage, and it says both Washington and Kiev are reversing everything happening in Donbass. They're blatantly lying. 
That's one tweet. Second tweet is the uh, it's Kiev that is provoking Russia by attacking the people of Donetsk and Lugansk. Uh, Russia is doing no such thing. Uh, Biden picks up Zelensky's lies constantly. And another one has a photoshopped image of the CIA's logo with the swastika on it. And then, quote, uh, since 1953, the CIA operated two major platforms intent on destabilizing Ukraine, not only on destabilizing Ukraine, but Nazifying it with followers of World War II Ukrainian Nazi leader Stepan Bandera. And uh, the second slide is a Ukraine neo-Nazi propaganda overview. The below is a combination of the Boolean search filters in English, Spanish, Russian, and Ukrainian to map the network of Twitter profiles linked to Ukrainian, uh, quote, neo-Nazi, end quote, propaganda over the last 48 hours. So if you even mention that the Ukrainians might have neo-Nazis in it, then, uh, then you are a Russian bot. That appears to be the case. Even Ian, you're seeing that these brutal. you're seeing that these are all an intelligence product, correct? I mean, that's what yeah, all these portion markings are correct. meaning. So yeah. that's what's really interesting. It's it's that this comes from a U.S. government source. It's not coming mm-hmm. from Twitter doing analysis internally because someone said, "Look at these things." That's I think that's worth honing in on. Yep, this well, is the government source that provided it to Ukraine. I mean, not Ukraine to, to Twitter and no doubt to Facebook and so on. But Twitter did push back. I think it's important to note, like uh, Roth does go back in those emails and say, "Okay, this account seems like it yeah. was not." Yeah, so I think that's important. He does push back. Yeah, he does push back occasionally. Yeah, and, but they still suspend the accounts, though. That's the thing. Even though they push back on it, they still end up suspending these accounts, which is and why. Up. Why, Kyle? What do you think of that? What do you think of the pushback and and the, the uh, Twitter later on complying. It's just, it's strange that they even are in that relationship in so many ways. I think we talked about it, uh, you know, maybe a week or two ago, but uh, the fact that they have this ongoing relationship where the, the U S government from any part of the intelligence community believes that they can go in and weigh and, and lean in on what should be essentially protected speech that, you know, we, unless it's directly tied with you know financial contributions from a foreign state entity that is coming in and and going directly to a U.S. Um, recipient, in which case we could open an investigation into them. It shouldn't be censored. It should just go and find out who they are, and they maybe they have a fair violation or something. But yep. I have a question for you, Kyle. Well, okay, so because I think we live in somewhat complicated times, because in terms of propaganda, there's a part of me that believes, okay, we should be able to put anything out there. Uh, but, uh, you know, you could have bot farms and things like that now. So it's not just somebody's opinion, which I think opinions, you know, I think whatever that opinion is, you should be able to put that out. But when a government if you can prove that it is a government entity and maybe they're using bot farms and they're specifically putting forward, say, disinformation being disinformation, so wrong information on purpose, wrong mm-hmm. information, and you can prove it, should the government not be able to uh, do sort of counter-propaganda ops? Uh, do you think that's beyond, beyond the scope of what intelligence agencies should be doing? Um, I think that's something that's for the public debate. That might be something that our representatives should be, you know, advancing since we all put our representatives out there to do this. sort. That's a great debate for, you know, maybe the Senate or maybe for uh, for the House to have. But, you know, what we're talking about is something that if there's money coming into a private company and that's what we're going to be talking about right in twitter's case they're a private company theoretically that is getting money coming in you know people are coming in and influencing people to go do that thing um the 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 only thing that i see is the potential fara violation this is the uh foreign um foreign agent registration act and i've sat in the fara office you know and i've asked them like can we prosecute people that are that we know are taking money on behalf of people and they're not registering because you can do that by the way you you can put propaganda out you just have to say 
who paid you for it. If you don't pay, if you don't, if you don't notify uh, the public in America that you are taking money, let's say on behalf of the Saudis and you're pushing a Saudi agenda, then that's a FARA violation in theory. But when I talked to him, it was really straightforward. The guys were like, yeah, if we, uh, if you violate FARA, we'll send you a sternly written letter. And uh, if you don't do anything about it in 90 days, we'll send you a second sternly written letter. <laughs> and if you ignore those letters and put them in the trash or the round file, then, um, you know, we really get our big guns together and we'll write you a third sternly written letter 90 days later. And there's no action. <laughs> they don't prosecute it. If you guys look like 60 years worth of no prosecution. Oh, so oh they do, they do prosecute it. Well, as if of recently, if, yes. If you're in Trump world, they prosecute it. Yeah, if you're Correct. Trump world, they prosecute you. If so not, this meeting, that, you know, the meeting that I had took place in 2017, sitting with the attorneys that do the prosecution in this particular field. So it didn't happen previously. It's not a thing that has been part of the, um, you know, the FBI's repertoire. And so, you know, here's the other question. If if we are, in fact, as a federal agency, if, if federal agencies from the United States government are violating our own policies and laws by doing regulation of free speech, who the heck is going to go after them? Like, you know, the OIG, um, and then they have to go as DOJ and DOJ already co-signed on what they're doing. So DOJ says, well, we're not going to prosecute. So we're, we're in a world where there is no consequences are, for the these people. Else. I know they are. Well, one more time. I missed what you said. What oh, yeah. I, said, I found out who the blank names are. All the, all the blanked out names, the top influencers that, uh, that are blanked out. I know who they are. I'll read them. Nice. Out. Yeah. So he didn't blank them out properly, and I know who these people are. They are, and you know these people, Kyle Kalinske, he's one of them, Rachel Blevins, that's another, uh, Aaron J. Mott, or Aaron J. Mate. Uh, they, they claim that he's Russian, he works with Russian or something, because like he, I think he worked for Sputnik for a while, but he's just a pro-Russian guy in general. He, he's not, yeah, he's got Green Zone, right? Great zone, yeah, 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 and he does he does great work. I mean, nothing that he writes is like bullshit. It's like impeccable. It's impeccable journalism. Oh yeah, and Ben Norton. Ben Norton's also listed here as as a as one of the influencers, the top influencers who are promoting Russian disinformation. So yeah, and Brian Boletic, uh, Quera Elise, oh Quera Else, Quera Else, uh, and Sakura XO. I don't know her, but she's like the largest name there. Yeah. So, but I do know a handful of these people, and I think even Ben Norton has been on Tucker Carlson's show, interestingly enough. Where are we up to? We'll go to the next one, Ian, because we're almost yep. done. I think it's like 10 left. 48. Yeah, 48. Yeah, I just had to read that. So, that, yeah, interesting names there. You should probably follow those people. They're very smart. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, if the U.S. government's like, oh, these people are bad, then, well, maybe there's something to that. Okay, so 48. So that list, hold on, just that list you read, these accounts, were they accounts that were considered uh, Russian misinformation accounts and they were suspended temporarily? Is that they how, were not. Is that right? uh, they were like, they either deamplified them or they did a bunch of stuff to them. And this is the product of analysis, right? This is the product of an, an analyst, as uh, Skull said. There's no evidence that they're actually working for Russia. They just happen to be against the U.S. Uh, government narrative. So, yeah, they have no evidence that any of these people are, are, are Russian or anything like that. They're just... You know, I, ha I hate to interject here, but let's um, keep in mind that misinform this is why the First Amendment protects even misinformation, because some government uh, person is going to go out and try to say that this is misinformation, as we're seeing <laughs> right here in the Twitter files, and shut it down. The reason misinformation even, even if it is real misinformation is protected, is because it's a subjective criteria often that determines it, and then you have people like this who are truly valid who get shut out. 
That's yep. what one of the things that's really at stake here. Journalists. Well, the people I mentioned, but there's... like half of them are journalists. Oh, yeah, but misinformation and disinformation just want to make a really quick distinction, right? Misinformation is your opinion, which can be wrong, and I think you're entitled to be wrong, and that should never be suppressed. Disinformation is when it is intentionally, you know that it's wrong information, and you're trying to disseminate it, right? So that's the distinction. Well, well there, there might be some reason to, to, to... Hold on a second. I'm sorry. Right. How is it one can delineate misinformation from disinformation? How is it a third party can look at a tweet and say, oh, that person pursued that or or uh, disseminate that tweet, that piece of information. Hold on. And he knows that it's wrong. How is it someone, quote, knows that something is wrong or how is it anyone can judge whether a third party knows something is wrong? They wouldn't be able to know. That's a th- that's the thing, right? I mean, that's well. If you're using propaganda. bots, right? For, so, well, for these example, guys are not using bots, though. They, these are literally journalists. Aaron Mate and Benjamin Norton are journalists. Kyle Kalinsky, I don't even like the guy. I don't I think, like I think the Catherine, guy. I think Catherine, I don't think you're referring to those journalists. I think you're referring to in general. Yeah, Rachel Blevins. Yeah, Rachel Blevins writes for Russian publications. It's true, but she's a journalist. No, I, I was, yeah, so I'm just, I, I was just generally making the distinction, and Tom is correct, it's very, very difficult, and I think unless you can definitively prove, you cannot, you know, go after someone for disinformation, but there is, there is a distinction, and sometimes you can prove it, it's just very difficult. If I might throw in here, there's one specific form of disinformation that is precisely uh, guaranteed as free speech, in the First Amendment, and that's called political campaigns. Political campaigns are filled with disinformation. There are people who say wild things to try to make their opponent look bad that they know are intentionally wrong, and they've twisted a fact in one way or another. So, yes, it's it's, it's interesting. Well, it's important to know the distinction between misinformation and disinformation as it relates to analyzing what someone is saying it is not important for any government information agency or any government actor, particularly here in the United States where we have the First Amendment, to make that distinction. It's not their job to make that distinction, except in their analysis. But when it comes to what can be said in a platform or anywhere, that distinction legally has no basis. And that's one of the things that we're finding out here. Another important thing to mention, I think, when you actually look at these slides, when they're talking about what the propagated uh, Russian disinformation is, it's actually the truth. It's saying Ukraine Mm -hmm. is is festering with ultra-violent neo-Nazis and is infested with utterly corrupt oligarchs. That's the truth. Yeah, so that that will be a discussion for another space because that one gets really sensitive. <laughs> it is true that um, he's 100% uh, correct. It, it's 100% correct. correct. And, you know, Mario, you may not like this, but this is the reality, you know. It is not 100% correct, and I would rather save that for another space since yeah, my alarm is going to have a debate about that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, guys, because we got to fuck up Christmas if we do. Number 48, yeah. We'll have a nice Christmas and there are no Nazis in Christmas, okay? So, okay. 
because they don't celebrate Christmas. Fuck the Nazis. Uh, another report asserts that a list of accounts accusing Biden administration of corruption in vaccine distribution are part of a Russian influence campaign. I'll read this thing. This is another product of uh, an analyst. Uh, it says here, we also assess with high confidence that the IRA was responsible in mid-February 2022 for producing and placing in media and social media information in multiple languages to include French, English, and Spanish on the following two narratives. First narrative is the Western uh, uh, Europeans in Africa were not acting in the best interests of the African nations and specifically were involved in intimidation, coercion and blackmail in the Sahara Sahel zone and were not interested in helping to fight terrorism in the Sahel. So that is more African related stuff. This is more to do with the French. Right, because I don't think America's really involved there. Uh, and the second narrative is the Biden administration was selling better places in the COVID-19 vaccine queue to countries in Asia, Africa, and Latin America, and therefore U.S. corruption was influencing the distribution of COVID-19 vaccines. So these are the two uh, narratives that they claim were part of a Russian dis uh, a Russian influence campaign. They don't call it disinformation, they call it an influence campaign. Now, whether or not that is true, that is anyone's guess. I'm not familiar with this uh, issue and not really well versed in uh, in in uh, politics in Africa. So you might have to need to get a, a like an African uh, geopolitical person on to talk about this. So I'm not I can't yeah, comfortably way, talk about it. I've just quickly linked uh, a tweet on top with a well researched story by a professor from the US uh, who has revealed the CIA connections to uh, Nazis in Ukraine. Just read that and make make up your own mind. I will retweet that, actually. More people need to read it. I've read that before. It's good. Yeah. Um, okay, 49. Often, intelligence came in by uh, the form of uh, brief reports, followed by a long list of counts simply deemed to be uh, pro-Maduro, pro-Cuba, pro-Russia, etc. This one batched over a thousand accounts marked for digital execution. They're basically, they're saying, oh, these accounts are all pro-Cuba. Pro Please delete. That's fucking insane. Okay. Like, they could literally be Americans, and even if they're not Americans, what the hell? So what if a person is pro-Cuba, or pro-Maduro, or pro-Venezuela, or pro-Russia, or pro-anything, or pro-China? Fuck it, you know, like, it's insane that they're like, yeah, we don't like these accounts because they're, like, not pro-US, they're just pro-this other country, So and we're, like, enemies of them, so please delete. Fucked up. Okay, and this is the kind of control that the feds had over Twitter. They could literally just tell them, these accounts are pro-Russian, just delete them. The fuck? And many of them are probably Americans. So, one report says a site documenting the purported rights abuses committed by Ukrainians is directed by Russian agents. And here's another uh, OGA uh, brief, another uh, cable that was sent to Apple, Facebook, Reddit, LinkedIn, Cloudflare, Google, YouTube, Twitter, Verizon Media, Yahoo, and Wikimedia. So it reads as follows. Um, there was a tear line, the start of text, unclassified. Da, 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 da. Uh, I'll go down to the actual meat of it because it's just repeating itself. It says, we assess that the tragedy of Donbass, which is uh, DonbassTragedy.info, that's Donbass with two S's, because that's the way the Russians spell it, uh, is a website documenting purported human rights abuses committed by Ukrainians since 2014. It is directed by the Russian General Staff Main Intelligence Directorate, GRU. Unclassified end of text. Now, you know, I haven't viewed that site, but I've viewed other things. There's documentaries on this, and there have been human rights violations in the Donbass done by, you know, the Azov Battalion and several other battalions, some of which actually went to prison in Ukraine 
for the stuff that they did to those people. So the idea that any sort of, uh, you know, coverage of war crimes that is, by the way, documented by the UNHCR, that's the United Nations Human Rights, uh, uh, you know, uh, review or whatever it's called, they've confirmed it. So to deny that human rights violations existed and have been happening since 2014, and sort of go on a tangent, it's just fucked up to me, right? It's fucked up to me that they would try to deny that any of that is real. Because it doesn't serve the narrative that Ukraine is is full of angels or something. Jesus Christ. 51. Well, just just to uh, make something clear here. So prior to the special operation that Russia launched um, in uh, that area, 14,000 people died uh, yep. because of the civil war that uh, Ukraine had with these uh, splits. Uh, provinces that didn't want to be part of Ukraine anymore. And uh, many thousands of them were civilians, yet none of that was reported in the Western media or very, very limited. So it all looked like, why is Russia doing this unprovoked invasion of Ukraine? Well, it's not really unprovoked when Ukraine kills thousands of ethnic Russians so we well, in those was- regions. So I know that will get sensitive, and I know Catherine is going to respond to this. So, but the the main point here, uh, just in terms of the documents, Kim, is that the the the, the bias in terms of the information that's censored. So whether that information is true or not, you know, there's no good and bad. You know, each side's going to do good and bad things. But what you're saying, Ian, is that if the Ukrainian side did anything bad which I think yep. all of us would agree that both sides did. Both sides have done bad things, things. Yeah. yeah, but the one side gets yeah. censored, right? One side gets yeah, so, censored. So yeah, so, so basically it's a certain that, narrative. Uh, right, yeah, like, uh, you know, they, 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 they bomb a fucking train station by accident and Ukrainians die in it. And by the way, when I say they, I mean the Ukrainians bomb a fucking Ukrainian train station by accident. They blame the Russians on it, right? And even though the people on the ground say, yeah, there, there was this a misfire, like, you can't even report on it. They'll claim, oh, you're denying that Russians are doing war crimes. It's like, well, it's kind of hard to blame the Russians for that one because it was a fuck-up, right? But well, the best happens. example it's of war. this is when, when, when a Ukraine S-300 missile uh, hit Poland yep. and the Ukrainian government, including Zelensky, said this was a Russian mis- missile attack on a NATO country, basically uh, invoking you know, uh, NATO um, protocols to try and uh, start a war against Russia with NATO. Yeah, yeah, that's so the exception, about... right? I mean, we can't have that. That That is why it's so dangerous to censor people because, I mean, thank God for Twitter. Thank God for OSINT Twitter. And by the way, OSINT Twitter is very anti-Russia, but even they are not, you know, even they understand that they have biases, but they're also going to report the truth, right? Like they're going to try to. And they were like, no, this AP report that was put out by the Associated Press that was backed up by a single state uh, uh, State Department official, right, uh, claiming that Russia fired on Poland. Uh, that that person got fired. That reporter got fired. They had to redact. It, it was an unnamed CIA source. I don't John, think they ever John, listed this the anonymous CIA source. Right. Uh, yeah. It turned out to be bullshit. It almost started a war. And it wasn't for John, Twitter. I, I, if it wasn't for Twitter, it would be fucked. John, I'll let you respond very quickly before we, we finish off the drop. John Spencer. Sure. Thanks, Mario. Um, I'm actually disheartened by some of the conversation because it just seems like you're giving opinions to the release rather than acknowledging, silencing certain voices is wrong, but then carrying that forward to be that the message that they had was the true message is not right. 
If you need to bring up the, I'm not saying it's true. If you need to bring up the Azov Battalion to try to justify, try to justify a narrative that Ukrainians commit war crimes, I mean that's a full stop right there. I mean it's a it's a massive war, and the fact that you said that people are in prison means that there's accountability. There are soldiers that do bad things in the war. There are bad people all. They were released. They were released. The the tornado battalion was released despite committing a, a ton of war crimes. And they armed them with guns. And what did they do? They went back out to the Donbass and committed more war crimes. And they're still doing it right now. No, so that's so, not true. I mean, last this part, idea that, that, that take... the Zelensky regime is fucking innocent is ridiculous. I mean, that's actually a disinformation tactic what you're doing there. You're taking a, a fact from the past, weaving it into the present, and then applying it wholeheartedly for the 40 million people. Like, that's actually... I'm not, I'm not saying 40 million people are responsible for it, but can we at least acknowledge well, that there are issues? Abso- the, the United States military has committed war crimes. It doesn't mean that there isn't... Yes, I know they have. But there's Which is why they need to be held accountable for a lot of things. And they're never held accountable. That's the thing. I mean, look at, look at the, uh, the the ones who were exposed by Julian Assange's files, right, in uh, uh, in, in 2009, right? The, 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 the helicopter pilots, were they ever accountable for anything? No. They got off scot-free. They killed so many civilians, and they laughed about it. They acted like it was a fucking video game, like it was they were playing Call of Duty. Yeah, again, again and you're, they taking, got off. you're taking a, 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 a fact from the past um, not understanding the because that's what facts are from the, the past. We have to hold these people accountable. But you're and so confused. Are you going to the OSCE's well, report protocol, that fourteen thousand uh, so protocol, uh, protocol, protocol. people were guys? Please, uh, John, I'll let you just finish your point, and then because I know the point you're making, John, and, and I just want to balance it up before Ian finishes off the job. Um, so protocol. And then, just then I would like to re- uh, reply to John. Um, yeah, let Kim yeah. talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, well. so John, John, yeah, so I'll let you make your point, John. I'll let Kim quickly reply, and then we can finish off the drop uh, uh, with Ian. Oh, sure, my, my point was taking facts and misapplying them to uh, massive populations. That is literally the ideal. That is a misrepresentation of what I'm doing. No, I mean, you're, you're assuming see, Ukrainian, I'm blaming all of Ukraine. The Ukrainian military is made up of hundreds of thousands of people. The Ukrainian military before 2022 is not the Ukraine military as today. Saying that Ukraine is committing war crimes all across the Donbass is not an accurate statement unless you've been there, unless you've toured, unless you've, you you know... Would it be an accurate statement to say that Russia is committing war crimes all across the Donbass? That's a fact verified by multiple... Oh, oh, oh so it's a fact when you say, when you when you make a blanket statement about Russians, but it's not a fact when you talk about Ukrainians doing it in a variety of different locations and you say it's all John, over the place. Uh, John, would you, would you is, agree, John? How is, that, how, John is that, how, is that, how is it any different? John, would you why agree it, that Why is it a fact when it's, when it's Russians doing bad things, you, but Ukrainians, oh, it's just a handful of them? Really? I think I'll, I'll, yeah, exactly. I'll like Ian, John... That, that last ahead, bit was John. actually the truth. You taking a few instances? <laughs> no, it's not. That is the opposite mass, of the truth. So where are the massive Ukrainian burial grounds? It's all so we'll, recorded we'll, by the we'll have, um, All right, guys. So we'll have uh, John. What I'll do is I'll, I'll get a, a full panel organized for a good debate on Ukraine because I know it's a very sensitive topic for many. Um, Listen, so I like Zelensky banning the opposition political parties, Protocol, banning you're not helping me. television Protocol, stations, basically ethnic Russia. He loves freedom of religion to the point where he bans the, 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 the largest, Kim, the, the, the largest she, uh, church in Ukraine. Uh, yeah, let, let, let the democracy ring, right? Kim, quickly reply, Kim, and then we'll get... Ian, to read out the final points, and we'll go to Tom and Kyle to kind of finalize the I, I overview. I pinned another 
tweet on top just now, just to give people some background about the far-right militias in Ukraine. So for most people who don't understand how this conflict even started, there was a, a coup in Ukraine replacing the It was not a coup, it was a revolution. Can I, can I, I let you finish, so uh, just please uh, so give Kim, me yeah, Kim, I'll let you touch on that topic. John, I'll let you reply, and then we'll kind of finalize the job, if you yeah. don't mind, guys. Yeah, and I'll be very, very brief with this. What escalated the Maidan demonstrations were snipers that killed demonstrators and police um, to basically get the whole um, uh, demonstration fired up to where they stormed government buildings and basically ousted the elected president. The evidence that has been analyzed, again, by professors out of Canada and the United States have issued a report that I've linked up on top that the people who have actually been sniping the Maidan protesters were far-right militias that partnered with the CIA in order to achieve this coup in Ukraine. So anyone who doesn't want to believe me, just read the uh, evidence that I put up on top in the tweets, and then you can be the judge, you know, if John is right, or if I'm right, when it comes to the right, uh, far right elements in Ukraine that have toppled the previous government that led to everything that followed, including this war that is currently ongoing. John, I'll let you, I'll let you reply briefly uh, without interruptions, and then we'll continue with the job. Go ahead, John. Sure. I mean, there, there is, this is the problem with disinformation. There are kernels of truth in, in statements like that. So definition of a coup, use of military forces to overthrow a government, uh, the Maidan was a revolution. I agree with sparked by the shooting of Ukrainian police forces. Now, there's a theory about the Ukraine. And they say ousted the government. So that would be a definition of a coup, but that's not what happened. The Maidan revolution led to a election, a democratic election of a new president. Was that an insurrection in your opinion? So, uh, just out of curiosity. Protocol, protocol, protocol. Protocol. He does make okay. a good point. Like, is that not an insurrection? Okay. If nothing else, that would be an insurrection. No, it led to a, a new election. It didn't lead to overthrow. Uh -huh. A democratic Was the formerly election. elected president allowed back into the country that was overthrown? He left by choice and went to his. his uh, he, he didn't public. leave because individuals stormed the the actual. No, no they weren't trying to over. They weren't trying to grab anybody. It led to a new election. What do you think of Victoria Nuland's uh, tap recordings, where she so was basically go, what go, the transition so, so government? Protocol, that's, protocol, a John, that's a good question by Prodigal. I would like to hear John answer that one. No comment on that one. I, it, it, again, uh, there you go. There you go. But he, he, yeah, he, no, I, will, I think we'll get, we'll, we'll need the guys. Got him. You got, now you we'll need nobody. guys. We'll, we'll need a. We'll need. We'll need a bigger. We'll need a bigger panel prepped for this. I think protocol. I'll, I'd love you to come on that panel. Got him though. Uh, obviously, Kim. You can't, you can't deny the Victoria Newland connection there. You know. Right, well, this so, is the so, same uh, one that denied there was any bio labs and that admitted there was under testimony under questioning from uh, Rubio. Ian, and Ian, we all know that bio. Guys, guys, I really don't want to touch on the Ukraine subject. Um, I, I, it's better to prepare for such sensitive topics and have a full panel there. Uh, these are all important points, Prodigal, and, and I'd love you to be on that panel. Uh, but Ian, because just because I want to keep it focused on this job, and we're focusing on FBI and CIA censorship yeah. in the US. I mean, the reason uh, why we talk about this is because of how crucial, right? I don't think we're really going off topic. I think it's how crucially it's tied 
how crucially the government's uh, operations in this regard are tied to the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Right? But you have a very actively. outweighed panel, Ian. And so I think it's not very fair to sort of go into the depths of Ukraine without sort of having a bit of a counterbalance. And we don't really have that on yeah, the panel. That's a fair, that's a fair, you know, I would like to, to see Sepp Gorka. I think he's got his hands up. I'd like to see him on that other panel representing the pro-Ukraine side of things. By the way, it's wrong to say that this is off topic. It's clearly on topic because these are documents that we are currently not, discussing. Yeah. So I agree. It's, 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 not, it's U.S. intelligence directing big tech in what they call disinformation. And anyone who has a bit of knowledge about the conflict in uh, Ukraine knows that this is, in fact, not disinformation, right? So it's relevant. That's good while we talk about it. But I'm okay with moving on, if you want, uh, with the rest of the release yeah. now. And I think well, we can that's look a good at segue. it as a bigger picture thing as well, because I think ultimately the issue here is should people be uh, allowed to express their opinions? Because, for example, uh, clearly we have a disagreement here or where we stand on Ukraine. But it doesn't mean that, say, Ian should be suppressed in his opinion because they disagree with him or call the, pro- you know, pro- propaganda whatever right so that that's that's really the bigger issue here mario can i just yeah, and then underline that there is a uh, a supposed uh, sorry uh, who was speaking so was that you tom or no it was sebastian? it was uh it was uh, sebastian he spoke first yeah, yeah can i can i just have 30 seconds here yeah of course yeah. all right so i i think um a separate panel on this would be what? great, but let me just make a couple of observations. And you know me, guys. Oh. I have no love for the deep state. I was talking. I, 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 can you hear me? Do, do you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you. Okay. Jim, Sebastian. So, no, 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 right no, 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 no. Uh, I don't think, oh, I don't I don't think he can hear you. Yeah. Like, okay, so yeah, Seth, you speak Jim. first, and then I'll, we'll let you know, Jim, when you can speak. Yeah, yeah Jim, uh, there's Sebastian speaking. I don't think you can hear him. He's glitching at the right. moment. So you can drop out and drop and come you, back up. Yeah, so, yeah go ahead, Sebastian. Can you hear me? Guys? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. a couple of things. Uh, you know, you know me, guys. Uh, I'm I'm not here to defend the deep state. I was targeted by the deep state. So you know, I'm not friends of you know Newland or anybody else. But let's be clear. Number one, it helps if you've been in the arena for a while. And I don't mean the foreign policy consensus, but if you've served in the military, if you've lived in the region like I have, I spent 15 years in Eastern Europe. And and let's just you know, I'd like to have a show of hands on the on the next panel. How many people have read? all of the significant geopolitical speeches by Putin since he became president 20 years ago. Because 20 years ago, 20 years ago, he was saying not only Ukraine, but the Baltic states and Poland are all illegitimate states. Now, that's long before Maidan, that's long before anything else, illegitimate states that do not deserve to exist. When you're talking about the Azov... That's wrong. That's wrong, Sebastian. I can send you the speeches. It's not I yet do it, but I've you... read them. I read them, and he never said he that they are illegitimate states. He did. I can send you. I can send you the speeches. He said they do not exist as independent states. He said specifically, Ukraine was created artificially by Khrushchev. Okay, these are factual statements made by him after he became president to to placate the nationalities of the union. Secondly. Um, the Azov Battalion. Him, what can, I, can I finish? A can I finish? I just want to make some points. And then yeah, but can, just really quick, on. because uh, Azov Battalion. Cool. Azov Battalion was an independent nationalist, irredentist militia. 
which was purged when it became part of the Ukrainian army. The idea that the Ukrainian army is somehow a Nazi uh, army that is serving a diminutive Jewish comedian, it's, you know, it's beyond Monty Python. And then lastly, when it comes to bioweapons labs, who built the bioweapons labs? Let's be very clear who built them. They were part of Biopreparat. Read the memoirs of Ken Alibekov, the head of Biopreparat, the huge illegal bioweapons empire that was created by the Soviets before the ink was dry on the 1973 bioweapons treaty that we signed with the Soviet Union that banned banned offensive biological weapons labs. They were built by the Soviet Union in Ukraine. So this deserves a far broader panel. But the idea, the idea that a nation with 5,000 nuclear warheads was somehow encircled and provoked by NATO and the Ukraine after Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons under Clinton to the Soviets, to Moscow, and was vouchsafed by the UK and by the US and then that they gave them up to the, to the to Moscow. You know, the, these things are all important parts of the understanding the current situation in Ukraine. The idea that Russia, Russia is not the aggressor and doesn't hold water. But I, I, I agree with Mario. Let us have a separate panel and let's have both sides represented. And I'd oh, love, I'd I love do to... like, to, uh, Mario, I would like yeah, to respond to this real quick yeah. and... Uh, uh, you, you know, you, you made some points that I think are important to refute. Number one, he did give uh, Putin did provide history about how these states uh, were created, but he also then acknowledged that these are now this is now the reality. They exist and they have a right to exist. So to just come in here and say he said this, these are all illegitimate is wrong. You you leave out one part of his speech that is quite important where he acknowledges that they are now independent states. The other thing uh, that I don't like is we're not trying to say that all of Ukrainian military or all of Ukraine are Nazis. What we're saying is the the group that was primarily responsible in achieving the coup in Ukraine were far-right militias that partnered with the CIA. And the Azov Battalion, plus a number of other battalions in the Ukraine, are clearly, uh, you know, having a Nazi ideology, and they are um, accepted by the Ukrainian government. How many and people are, are in part of the Azov, Kim? Thousands. But here's the and other thing. That's leadership quite positions. That's, that's, that's just, the just important let thing. Let me finish my point real quick. Let me finish my point real quick, please, because I was talking. Yeah. Let me just finish this point. There is a document from the U.S. Uh, Congress where before all of this uh, military action started in Ukraine, they banned any kind of funding to go to Azov. They named the Azov Battalion. This is from the U.S. Congress saying we cannot send arms and money to these people because they are Nazis. And now you don't hear about that anymore. And go ahead and Google it. It's public knowledge. Sebastian, you should know this. So I know that, but it, yeah, yeah, so what? It means nothing to me. I mean, Congress, are you now quoting Congress as an authority? I thought you said Congress has betrayed all Americans, so you can't have your cake and eat it. Well, of course I can use Congress when they uh, use this kind of language when it benefits the U.S., right? So they did use this language and they said Azov are Nazis and that's why we can't send them money. But that's not currently the case. Now it's okay to send money to Ukraine and arm these Nazi battalions. 
There, there are no Nazi battalions. I'm sorry. It's just furious. They were purged. Uh, well, let's have a panel. Well, well they were that's, broken that's up and inserted into the military. Sebastian, so that is really bad. Done. You're just exposing yourself as someone who isn't really educated on that matter. Kim, what are your qualifications in national security, Kim? I'm exposing myself. I served in the British Army from 1991 onwards. I was a civil servant in the def- Defense Department for irregular warfare for five years, and I rose to strategists in the White House. Don't bullshit me about my credentials. What are your credentials in national security? Give me your credentials. Yeah, I give you my credentials. I've read every single file in the WikiLeaks archive. I've let, read every single file in the Snowden archive. I'm very well versed on all geopolitical. So you can issues. read a surgery book, and that makes you a surgeon, right? Well, you know these things are very easy to understand when you have the U.S. Congress ban funding for Nazi battalions, which they call themselves Nazi battalions, and now all of a sudden that and language is not being purged. used anymore because and it's not. I'll go. I'll go. They were not purged. They are. They are more Nazi now than they have ever been. Right. What about the president? Yep. Ian, I'll, uh, I think we'll go to finalize. I think there's like three or four drops left, oh and then Lord. we'll go to Tom. <laughs> I just want to say they're not perched, though, because what happens when you're <laughs> fucking chief of police? When right, you're they're working for not literally I, I will, a I will, I will promise. Uh, veteran and 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 an avowed oh, Nazi with tattoos on his face. Like, oh, he's not a Nazi anymore? He just, what, he renounced his Nazism? Uh, like, go, yeah, like the U.S. This, uh, isn't giving medals to Wagner Group so, members, right? For, let's let's try to be right. objective here. Oh, and but they weren't Nazis. Right. They weren't right. 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 They were broken Nazi down. who goes to Florida so to go, Disneyland, go. right, to celebrate the military great games, and he's got a fucking Nazi uh, thing on and, his, and uh, his arm, a Nazi tattoo, and he has to cover it up to pretend he's not uh, a Nazi, and then he goes back and does a sick heil on TV. Like, come on. He's a Nazi, and they're openly embracing Nazis. Like, come Come on. Like, this is, you can watch Ukrainian television, and there's Nazis on television. Fucking Okay, let's just right, focus back to the drops. Yeah, yeah. My yeah, God. Yeah, I guys, guys, I'm sure you need, I'll have, we'll do a space for this. I just want to create a record really quickly, very briefly. I want to create a record that Sebastian Gorka said the Nazis in Ukraine have been purged. I'd like that to be no, on the record. No, I said the Azov Battalion. Kim, this is the slippery. This is when you're disingenuous. I didn't say the Nazis of Ukraine. You want to see Nazis? Switch on stinking RT, okay? Just switch it on. I said the okay, Azov let's be more Battalion. Specific. Are you Azov saying that the Nazis. Okay? Are, are you saying that the Nazis in the Azov is. For the record, you, precision matters. Yeah, yeah. Are you saying that the Nazis in the Azov Battalion have been purged in Ukraine? When the Azov Battalion was turned from a militia a yes into a no regular question. army, they were purged. Correct. You can record it and you can post it. Okay? Go ahead. Okay, fantastic. So we have okay. that on the record for future debate. Thank you. All right, perfect. Kim, Ian, Catherine, John, and Sebastian in Protocol would love you on that Ukraine debate. Yeah, we should do um, that. And we'll right. get a good panel Get back organized. to the files now. Since, yeah, uh, yeah, thanks, Ian. Okay. <laughs> thanks, bro. <laughs> 51. Merry, Chris- Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, <laughs> everyone. We're, we're arguing with each other. That's very cool. Um, 51. All right. Intel about the shady origin of these accounts might be true, but so might uh, at least some of them, uh, some of the information in them about neo-Nazis, rights, abuses in Donbass, even about our own government. Should we block such material? That's what Matt Taibbi asked, and that's what we've been debating for the past maybe an hour, right? So, yeah. 52. This is a difficult speech dilemma. 
Should the government be allowed to uh, try to prevent Americans and others from seeing pro-Maduro or anti-Ukrainian accounts? That's a question. 53. Often, Intel reports are just long lists of newspapers, tweets, or YouTube videos guilty of anti-Ukrainian narratives. And let's, let's look at them. Oh, it's a bunch of uh, YouTube shorts that they try to have pulled. Um, there, there's no real links here. I mean, there's links, but they're all blacked out. Uh, and they're all very critical of the uh, of the Nazi problem in Ukraine. But that's what they were banning, right? You can't even mention U- Ukrainian Nazis without being blocked. And so, it might have you right, in 54, he says... Sometimes, not always, Twitter and YouTube blocked the accounts, but now we know for sure that Roth meant by, or what Roth meant by the Bureau and by extension the IC. And this is a, uh, an email. Privileged and confidential. Hi, team. This is uh, from Yul Roth. He writes, the questions uh, we received are attached. I'm frankly perplexed by the requests here, which seem more like something we'd get from a congressional committee than the Bureau. There is a big discussion to be had about state-controlled media, which uh, will be impacted by the label launched later this month. This is when they added, uh, you know, state-controlled media, Russian state media, whatever. But I'm not particularly comfortable with the Bureau and, by the extension, the IC, demanding the written answers here. Uh, what's your perspective on how to navigate? Okay, that was his question. Number 55, the line between misinformation and distorting propaganda is thin. Are we comfortable with so many companies receiving so many reports from a more aggressive government? Uh, The CIA has yet to comment on the nature of this relationship to tech companies like Twitter, and Twitter had no input into anything I did or wrote. The searches were carried out by third parties, so what I saw could be limited. Watch Barry Weiss, Michael Schellenberger, L.H. Fang, and this space for more on issues regarding COVID-19 to Twitter's relationship to Congress and more. So there are at least two more sets of drops, not including more that may come from this particular uh, topic. There's going to be COVID-19 and then there's Twitter's relation to Congress. So that is more likely Adam Schiff. I would guess it's Adam Schiff. Yeah, that one's going to be about Adam Schiff. I want to go to Kyle and El. He still hasn't Antoron. released his depositions uh, from the Russiagate uh, congressional investigation. That's a good point. Yes, uh, uh, not. Uh, Kyle and El uh, uh, Grandolon, just from your. Uh, Do you guys uh, mind focusing a little bit on um, number fifty-two? This sort of uh, thought, can whether or not me? the government should be. Tom, you might as well go. Can you hear me, guys? Yeah, I, I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you might as well just speak on it. Yeah, you can go ahead and speak on it. So we're talking, he says it's a difficult question. I don't think it's even close to a difficult question. I think it's incredibly dangerous to to imagine that the government is going to be involved in preventing Americans from seeing things. So, uh, but it does tie into what we saw in this Missouri versus Biden um, lawsuit, where they talk about CISA defining what people think as a cognitive infrastructure. Um, You can go back to December 15th. um, There's some really good cover, uh, you know, coverage of that particular lawsuit and, and sort of the definition depositions that are coming out um uncovered dc has it um so anyway if you go back and search that on, on twitter you can see some you know discussion of it but cognitive infrastructure that's that really dangerous mission creep that the that the, the government and and you know military operations get involved in where they start looking at one thing and it's you know whether there's some sort of information on a platform that's that's coming from somewhere maybe it shouldn't and then they move into what you're thinking about it which is which is a natural outgrowth if you're doing analytical, um, um, you know, analysis on it, and then you and then you try to have some sort of impact. When you want to have impact, you have to go into the people's mind. So the idea that they would have any influence on what people are seeing and therefore thinking about it, incredibly dangerous. We have no business doing that as a government. Um, and I, I mean, that's like I said, freedom's dangerous. That's that's sort of the American proposition. That's the deal we all made. Absolutely agreed, uh, Tom. You got a hand up. 
thank you. Uh, you know, going back to these documents that we're seeing, uh, you know, we have a lot of experience at Judicial Watch looking and asking for these types of documents. And in my experience, no citizen or non-governmental official uh, would um, really, in a practical way, be ever able to see this information unless they had a national security clearance and were actually working for the agency. So the idea that this raw intelligence information is being shared in this aggressive way with these third parties, these government, uh, you know, this the Twitter and other companies is just astonishing to me. And uh, so anyone who's looking for a delineation between uh, the CIA and the FBI and these uh, non-governmental business operations, uh, I, I don't know where that delineation is. And uh, so th- this is uh, beyond uh, anything that, um, uh, you, you know, the idea that classified intelligence data, a uh, spy uh, from the CIA is being shared internally uh, with uh, or being shared with Twitter uh, to target American citizens, because there's no there's no information here to suggest uh, that there was any guardrail around um, protecting American citizens from this purge operation, uh, either related to election issues or uh, or the Ukraine Russia debate. And, you know, taking a step back into the I don't want to debate necessarily or start up the debate about Ukraine and Russia is that, you know, it depends on the time of day what position we're allowed to have on Ukraine. So was it anti-Ukrainian in the beginning of the Russia invasion when, uh, you know, I think it's been widely reported whether it's true or not, who knows. But I think it's credible, the idea that there was uh, the U.S. government was encouraging Zelensky and prepared to uh, uh, pave the way for him to flee the country and essentially uh, turn it over to the Russians. Was it pro-Russian uh, when Biden essentially prior to the invasion incur- uh, suggested that a little bit of invasion wouldn't be too bad for Putin to engage in? You know, so this is the debate that I think is worth um, highlighting is that uh, uh, this isn't necessarily anti-Ukraine or anti-Russian. This is anti-Biden administration. Uh, that these government agencies are seeking to suppress information and debate about. And, uh, you know, going back further, uh, you know, what, where is uh, the debate about, uh, is it wrong to say, for instance, highlighting Barisma's role in all of this and Biden's being uh, compromised by this? You know, this is where I think, you know, we can probably agree between Seb and Kim uh, that this isn't really about Russia and Ukraine. This is about Biden corruption and suppressing critics of the U.S. administration. Uh, so the, uh, this is the big issue here. That. It seems it seems to me, uh, you know, the CIA sharing intelligence that is prohibited under law, uh, targeting American citizens. And 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 let's be clear here. It also involves election interference. And as these documents show. Uh, it involved not only Facebook and Twitter, but Verizon. Verizon. So how does Verizon get involved in all of this? Uh, you know, given the Verizon role that Verizon owns, has. Uh, they own uh, they, they own, uh, a social media platform, I believe. Which one? Uh, it's, it's in the files there. It's actually, it's, it's, I'll, I'll find it. You keep going. Well, 
I mean, I, I see the owner of a major, you know, of cell phone data and, um, and cell phones. And I think, uh, we ought to get very nervous about, sure. uh, this going beyond that, uh, in terms of, um, uh, just talking about social media posting and getting into monitoring text messages and other private communications. Yeah, and, you know, and just Yahoo. To, Yahoo. Yeah. Oh, Verizon is Yahoo. Well, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a, yeah, but then secondly, but no one posts, you know, I don't have a Yahoo account through which I post social media attack, uh, you know, activity. Uh, and then second, you know, and then, and then, you know, and of course the other, the linear, the other issue I think we need to be concerned about is we're presuming they needed the government to tell them how to censor folks. And you can see here, they were doing it on their own. And the debates in the recent, in recent days about the algorithms and Twitter that are seemingly still being triggered on this Ukraine debate. Uh, is, I think, uh, uh, something that uh, Musk and his team need to look at. My other concern is that third parties are still uh, acting as a, as a gatekeeper for these documents. You know, I'd, I'd be happy. I'm sure my colleagues and I at Judicial Watch would be more than willing to accept any invitation to go in and do a search here uh, be, so that uh, the people can be reassured that those who are implicated in misconduct within Twitter aren't vetting these documents for these outside journalists. And then, uh, you know, the other big issue is uh, the continued continued communications with the FBI and these other agencies. As it stopped, hasn't been turned off. Uh, A few spaces ago, Elon Musk suggested he would get into and try to figure out what the status of that was. Uh, we haven't gotten any answers yet. Uh, his tweets this morning suggested, you know, maybe it's still going on. I don't know. Uh, so these are we've all had, very uh, much. We've um, had, um, just to let you know, uh, Tom, we've had guests come on and say this is continuing in other social media platforms. and But they are watching the Twitter quote-unquote experiment um, and seeing how it goes. And they're watching with interest. So we may see other social media platforms follow suit and kind of start resisting requests by by the FBI and the CIA. Um, so that's, I think that was, I can't remember if it was Mark Andreessen or someone else that implied this. We had a few speakers mention it. You know, and, and you know, just to add back on the Ukraine thing, you know, we, we just watched and covered a few weeks ago that we were funding and continuing to fund um, the management of anthrax in Ukraine. And, uh, and other pathogens. I think personally that's outrageous. Why the heck are we still managing like it? Idea of not bringing up the Ukraine debate again. But, but, no, but, but the point, point, the point Tom, being, our, our this was a trade forward. anti-Russian or anti-Ukrainian. This is about general corruption. Right. And, you know, I guess my concern was that, I, you know, we put this out out there in a straightforward way uh, because we knew both sides were using this as a kind of a, you know, a battle, you know, a battle argument. And, uh, you know, we get accused of being pro-Russian when we're exposing, in my view, U.S. government corruption. We're managing a dangerous program to what national security ends, I'm not sure, in Ukraine 20 years after it began. Uh, and uh, somehow that means that we're pro-Russian as opposed to being concerned about elements of this COVID craziness still going on internationally as a result of U.S. funding, meaning funding dangerous pathogenic research. Uh, in other countries without any honest disclosure about why we're doing it and for what ends. Uh, so all of this, all of this is tied up. 
And, uh, you know, and I would just conclude when they say that talking about Burisma is a is a trigger that tells you all you need to know about election interference, uh, which obviously began in 2020 and is continuing up until this very moment. Thank you. Sebastian, I I would like to quickly respond to that, Mario, if I can, and I will not be long. So there's one pattern of behavior by the U.S. government and especially the deep state that uh, shines through so many different affairs and problems. Uh, In the U.S., it's illegal for the government to do bioweapon research. So what do they do? They move it into other jurisdictions. In the U.S., it's illegal to torture people, so they move it into other jurisdictions. In the U.S., it's illegal to hold people without charge indefinitely, so they move it to Guantanamo, and again, in another jurisdiction. It's illegal in the U.S. to spy against Americans, so uh, the U.S. deep state outsources the spying against Americans to their Five Eyes partners in the U.K., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, still gets to spy on everyone, but they're not uh, doing it directly, but they have access to all the data. So it's a pattern of behavior where the U.S. deep state is undermining U.S. law and U.S. jurisdiction and does it in other jurisdictions. And that is a very common pattern now. Um, and that is criminality. That is organized crime. Sebastian, I have a question for you. Um, you saw how we, we had a, a pretty strong disagreement, and you and Kim disagreed on a lot in the past, but there's a very strong disagreement among the panel regarding uh, Ukraine. So my question to you would be like, how how will how is censorship impacting this? So when you have such differing opinions, and obviously one is going to be correct, one is not correct. Are social media is social media meant to allow complete free speech for these disagreements for that for these discussions to happen, or is there a certain level of responsibility for something that is known to be disinformation to be suppressed by social media? I know your, what your answer will be, oh, but I, I'm just trying to see whether there's a yeah, there's a, no, a I, certain I, line somewhere. No, absolutely not. The the, the only disinformation, and this is you know I'm thinking on the fly here. The only disinformation that that should be tackled by the government and I don't even want to use the word suppressed, is disinformation by foreign actors that is against the national security of those citizens. And even then, I don't want it to be suppressed. If you're really interested in a model of how to do this, the most effective thing was created an interagency. It was a tiny group of people, like less than a dozen people, that the deep state utterly hated, called the Active Measures Working Group, uh, created under the the Reagan administration by some uh, iconoclastic staffers from the IC and the Congress, who looked at Soviet propaganda, such as the planting of the idea that in African newspapers through KGB cutouts that AIDS had been created at Fort Detrick by the U.S. government. And they didn't suppress it. They didn't say, New York Times, you can't run this article. They actually said, look, here's the paper trail. Here's an unclassified report uh, that shows you which KGB second consul planted the original story with the fake Indian newspaper called The Patriot that was actually created by Moscow back in the 1960s. And this is how they seeded the story. So, you know, I'm not a First Amendment absolutist because certain things can, of course, cause harm. If you say kill, you know, kill Justice Kavanaugh tomorrow, that, that is incitement 
to violence. That, that, that isn't actually protected by the First Amendment. However, I really don't want the government deciding what misinformation should or shouldn't be suppressed, but we should have governments that demonstrate with empirical evidence when they find something that is a lie that is meant to undermine the security of their population. But suppression, look, as a child of, of those who suffered under Nazi occupation and then my father was arrested and tortured by communist secret police officers, I, I don't want my government suppressing anything. I want them to win wars when we go to battle and that's the end of it. You know, but but the idea of what we're finding out with the FBI and the CIA in, in Palo Alto, I mean that 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 should be blown open by everybody who has access to that information as wide as possible. And the sad thing is, and you know, I'll I'll stop here. Uh, God bless Elon. But but Twitter is nothing. I mean, I mean, Twitter is is an echo chamber for the elites and for journalists who don't want to actually do journalism. But the far more influential platforms are TikTok and Facebook. Nobody reads newspapers anymore. Nobody watches cable television. Most people in, in most demographics get their political information before an election from Facebook or TikTok, and, and, yeah. and they are they are far more far more far more pernicious than Twitter. Yeah, I mean, I, I put something on YouTube with Judicial Watch just the other day talking about January 6th. Right? You know, I forget what I said. I'm sure it was straightforward based on documents and such. And YouTube vandalized it with a link to Wikipedia on January 6th. I mean, so they're not even pretending anymore to have any credible um, issues here uh, that they can censor fairly. Uh, but, you know, and Seb, I want to ask you a question, though. I mean, isn't the easiest way to deal with bots, or shouldn't the, isn't the most straightforward ethical and legal way for the CIA to deal with bots emanating from foreign governments trying to harm America is for us to attack the bots, disable them, go after them the way that we, you know, which I thought we were spending billions on in terms of cybersecurity and cyber warfare as opposed to censoring Americans through American companies? You know, Tom, the big hypocrisy here is that the U.S. government themselves is operating millions of bots on numerous big tech sites, but the other side is not allowed to do it. And on top of it, opinion... Well, I don't think that's hypocrisy, Kim. I just think that's that's the reality of cyber warfare. Uh, the question is, what are, you know, are we censoring Americans over these issues as opposed to understanding that these are international battles. And just, be, you know, we, we have a right as Americans to spy. And, you know, the idea that we don't do things that uh, are part of a tool set in international information battles, you know, there's nothing inherently unethical about trying to uh, advance American interests abroad through bots well, as long as there's the a reasonable... Uh, walling off of propagandizing Americans. Tom, the problem is quite simple. The Internet doesn't have national borders. The Internet is international. Everyone can go to Twitter and read from someone from Russia, Ukraine, Turkey, wherever they are from. So you don't have this ability um, to, you know, uh, protect a certain class or protect a certain country. Kim, would you, Kim would, you, would you say, Kim, like, does that mean the strategy should not be used at all because of this problem of not ge geographical borders? I think what the tech companies should focus on is to get legislation 
um, that stops this kind of bot activity and that they have the tools that they need to take down these bots. Because if you have a one-sided bot army, uh, then you have a manipulation of opinion in the United States that will uh, generate more um, uh, positive views of the wars that the U.S. government is fighting, right? And that's ultimately really the goal. This whole propaganda is just so that Americans will agree to go to war. But if Americans would know all the facts, they would probably not want to go to these wars. So this whole propaganda thing is really just a deep state effort uh, that the military-industrial conflict can have their endless wars and generate money with them. Uh, El Grande, I'd love you to jump in on this point. El Grandulon. Uh, sorry, I don't know your name, man. Um, and, and my question more to you is where, where do you draw the line between the responsibilities of, of uh, the CIA, the FBI, um, and just crossing the line? And what do you think are their intentions? And trying to play devil's advocate with this as well. I know it's going to be very, really tough considering the topic is, uh, is not too polarizing of too much censorship. Sure. I mean, look, information operations and espionage operations have been going on for thousands of years. Are we going to spy on our enemies? Are we going to spy on our friends? Of course. Do they spy on us? Of course. The The, the problem comes into play when the enemy is now within your own government. That's, I think, where we get concerned. I think that's kind of what Tom was trying to speak about is that that's where you've crossed the line. Okay. For example, I, I'm also a trained counterintelligence officer, and you know one of the cases that they teach you in CI school is is about Anna Montes. Okay, Anna Montes was a Cuban spy that was embedded in the DIA. That when you get to that point where there are influence operations on behalf of foreign governments or on behalf of of uh, or against the American people within our own government, that's an issue. Uh, you know, that, that's that's part of why there's diplomatic immunity for, you know, foreign actors uh, where, hey, you get caught spying uh, for America and Russia, then, yeah, obviously we don't want Russia to kill our spies. We don't, Russia doesn't want us to kill their spies. And that's kind of a, oh, my bad, we got caught. Uh, hey, we're, you know, persona non grata sending this person back home. That's been an understanding for a very, very long time. When it comes to that stuff happening within our own government against our own people because of corruption, that's a problem. That's a serious, serious problem. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. Are we going to conduct information operations and psyops using bots? Absolutely. Are they going to? Absolutely. But, you know, where we're lacking is in our defense against this or if it's coming from within our own government. That. That's how I see it. That That's going beyond a normal security threat. That's making the security threat part of your own government. Does that answer your question? Or? It does, man. It does. It does. I think you, you've kind of, you've drawn the line, at least how you see, how you see, um, you know, the limits of those organizations. Stephen, do you agree with what, uh, what the, the El Grand Duron mentioned? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, Overall today, I mean, this, this drop kind of it reveals and confirms a wide collusion between both the FBI and the CIA, controlling narratives in a variety of social media networks to prop up their preferred political candidates in foreign elections, which I think is very notable. And although, you know, the gentleman is right in terms of espionage operations, 
been happening since forever. I do think it's pretty curious about which political candidates um, that they have been supporting. It always seems to be stuff that's candidates that are leftist and per, overall support a globalist agenda. For whatever reason, I have a ton of Brazilian followers, and I can't tell you how many of these people have complained to me that they just made their third, fourth accounts, etc., or they've been shadow banned forever simply for supporting Bolsonaro. And we do have, I think, enough information from the previous Twitter files to pretty safely conclude that a lot of the Bolsonaro supporting voices were targeted and suppressed. So why? Well, why I mean, uh, Elon has confirmed that there is an issue with the Brazil election. I saw one tweet where he confirmed that and not much in the way of official follow up. Right. Uh, Kyle, right. It, 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 sorry, Steve, I want I want you and Kyle to kind of touch on one point. If Kyle is still there or he dropped out because he's glitching a lot. Uh, I think he's dropped out. So I'll let you and El Grandulon, because both are ex-FBI. Uh, Kyle is still there. Sure. Uh, so all three of you guys, um, w- what are what do you think are the intentions of the FBI and CIA? Because I don't want to sit there and put. I don't want to. I don't want to portray them. And I think Elon even tweeted about this today. What's funny is I I wrote a tweet mentioning what Elon mentioned, and I like scheduled to tweet it later today, and then Elon tweets it. It's like perfect timing. And both of us said that. You know, we don't want to look at the FBI as just a, a bunch of bad people trying to do bad things and trying to have too much power. And I want you to talk about what you think their intentions are. And I think Kyle and El Grandulon, you can probably I, hear I would on that like a bit more. to answer that, uh, if I may, Mario, because sure, I know sure. a lot about these intentions. Well, first off, I'm not former FBI. I was with DIA, uh, worked about half my career, my career as military working for NSA. And then I spent about two years with DHS. Uh, D- what I saw at DHS was kind of the final straw, and that's why I left. I was in DS-14 with them. Um, I've deployed as a contractor as recently as February 2021 when I returned from Afghanistan. So I, have I worked with FBI? Yes. In my role with DHS, I worked with all the SACs and ASACs of all the federal agencies. I worked with foreign intel- intelligence, uh, you know, UK and Aussies and Canadians and you name it. But uh, I think the majority of the people in the community, in the IC and in law enforcement, including the FBI, are are good people. A lot of the things I saw that were disturbing to me, I didn't see until I reached the GS-14 level. Or especially like this last deployment to Afghanistan. That's that's when uh, it became blatantly obvious that the military-industrial complex is is who's running things. We had contractor companies, including the one I worked for. Um, telling generals, you don't tell us how many people we can have in country. We tell you. You tell us what you need, and we tell you how many people it takes. And before I left in February of 2021, uh, my boss approached me. He's like, dude, if you want to stay a little bit longer, because we're all making dang good money, that was a billion-dollar contract. We're halfway through a billion-dollar contract. How does that look for shareholders when that contract gets ended because the war ended? And before I left... My boss is like, I know where we're going next. And I'm like, what do you mean you know where we're going next? February 2021. Uh, we're going to Poland. We're going to Bulgaria. This is way before Putin ever went into Ukraine. But you, you've got to have, you know, you got to feed the beast. you got to have that money going to the military industrial complex because you just cut all their contracts. You have all this, re, you know, resentment towards Trump for doing so. you, you got to feed so- them a new contract. So this is exactly right, and this is what I wanted to touch on, right? What is the bigger picture 
motive for everything that we see unfolding here with this censorship. Um, For those who don't understand the deep state, it's uh, the intelligence community and primarily the leadership of that intelligence community, which includes CIA, NSA, FBI, and it's the, the shareholders, the big guys behind the military-industrial complex. So those are the companies that uh, make the weapons that are being sold around the world to NATO members. Uh, Those are the security contractors that work within the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And all of these groups are dependent on nonstop chaos around the world. This is how they justify their budgets. This is how they make money. If there was peace in the world, we wouldn't need this entire apparatus that focuses on uh, war and crisis, right? This is how they make money. You end the wars. These people are out of business. You don't have conflict around the world. These people don't have any budgets uh, or can't justify employing millions of people in the intelligence community. So they need to continue to generate conflict and wars around the world. And that was what the CIA has been doing actively uh, before World War II. And after World War II, what many people don't understand, uh, U.S. wars around the world have killed over 20 million people in 37 victim nations. And all these wars were instigated by the CIA. They are basically the war generation machine for the military-industrial complex. And the reason why we have these restrictions on social media, you know, de-amplification of voices, is because war only works when people don't understand what's really going on, that they are being tricked into wars, that they are being lied to about the motives of the wars. And that has been well documented in Iraq with WMDs, with stories of nurses lying uh, you know, from Iraq saying that they're, they're stealing our babies and killing them. And then it turns out it was a, a CIA planned. They're doing this all the time to lie to people, because if people understand what's really going on, of course, they are not going to be in support of wars or in support of sending $100 billion to Ukraine, which basically all goes back to the U.S. military industrial complex. That is how they make their money. So all of this is a giant scam to keep us in wars and global conflict. Aaron, I'd love you to respond. Go ahead, Tom, and then Aaron. I think you're you're a bit off here, Kim. I think your instincts generally are right in terms of skepticism, but I think it's worse than what you suggest in the sense that many of the recent wars that America has been involved in are the result of mismanagement by the very agencies that you suggest want them. No, what they try to do is to manage the foreign po- our foreign policy and uh, these threats, strategic and dangerous threats to the United States, in a way uh, that uh, shows contempt for the uh, uh, Americans' uh, uh, security, really. And... Uh, by whistling past your graveyard on on threats, uh, encouraging bad actors to be aggressive because of uh, their weaknesses in dealing with them and uh, their arrogance in, in uh, pretending uh, that the, the rules uh, that have guided humanity for the last uh, millennia don't apply anymore. And that results in wars happening. 
you know, there's no terrorist threat until there's a terror attack. And then there's a war to try to clean it up. Uh, oh, we can pretend that, for instance, that corruption doesn't matter here in the United States and doesn't incentivize others. Oh, then we see adventurism uh, in response to that corruption from both Russia and China. And, you know, Russia, it's resulted in a war. China, I think it could result in a war uh, because of the weakness of uh, the Biden administration and the agencies uh, that surround him and have, have protected him while targeting those of us who want a more straightforward practical foreign policy as opposed to one that pretends there are no real threats. So I, I don't think there's too many folks out there agitating for war. It's the exact opposite. It's the ones who are who, who pretend uh, that these national security threats aren't real and uh, tell the rest of us we're lunatics like Seb uh, that end up getting us into the wars. I remember at the end of the Obama administration, I thought that gang was going to back us into, you know, seven wars before he got us at, before he left office. And uh, it was that Trump realist approach uh, that actually provided better security, not only here for the United States, but everyone abroad, because all the bad actors knew what they were allowed to do and what they weren't allowed to do. Uh, it wasn't perfect, but it was a lot better uh, international situation. So I think you overstate things there, Kim. Uh, but, um, you know, and I, I guess the alternative I offer isn't necessarily uh, some would say less conspiratorial. Uh, but uh, I think it's it fits in better with the reality but, of the, how things have been operating so, here in the United States. Let me I don't think it's on. overstating. I don't think it's overstating uh, anything at all. You know, like I said, I uh, read the WikiLeaks uh, files. I understand how the world works, and uh, you know, a lot of. Uh, uh, people in the U.S. see it the same way. You know, it's not just me uh, trying to be a conspiracy theorist. Uh, we know that uh, the U.S. government lies to go to wars. We know that uh, the military-industrial complex is making hundreds of billions of dollars, even just in the increase of their uh, company valuations right now with the war in Ukraine. Um, you know, most of the major contractors of the U.S. government for weapon deliveries are now up 50% in value. So this is a profit. This is a racket. This is all about money, and they are my making so money on the expense of human lives that but, are being destroyed. But that's Go not the point. It. That's not the point Tom's making. The, the point is arrogance and ignorance. These people are evil. The deep state exists, but they are arrogant and they are ignorant. The, these people do not know how to do geopolitics. And, and just one last thing on on reading WikiLeaks. It doesn't matter whether you read every single document on WikiLeaks. They're lies as well. You, you think that just because a document is classified, it's the truth. It isn't. These, keep, these people are morons as well as being arrogant and evil. So the idea that there's some huge master plan and there's, you know, Blofeld is sitting in a hollowed out volcano and his name is George Soros is not true. There are evil actors and there are arrogant actors and there are incredibly incompetent actors. Trust me, if you've ever worked in a skiff, you will see arrogance more than you even dreamt was possible. Yeah, well, uh, we're talking about just, just, just really quick because Sebastian was addressing me there. I mean, for for you to assume 
uh, and I underestimate my intellect that I can't read between the lines and that I know that the government is constantly lying even in their own documents. It's just wrong, okay? I do but understand. How do you know that? I'm, I'm just curious, Kim. How do you know when you're reading a TSSCI document that's been leaked by WikiLeaks? Tell me how you know whether it's a lie or not. I'm just curious. You, you tell me how you know. Well, you look at the cables and you look at the analysis of these cables uh, that were leaked uh, by Chelsea Manning and you understand what methods and, and lies the U.S. government uses to achieve its objectives, right? So, for it's, example... It's a human artifact. You, 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 it's a human artifact, Kim. You, you have no special magic wand that tells you which document is a lie and which is propaganda and which is a product of competence. I, I'm sorry, you, you just don't. Well, maybe maybe you don't have a 100% hit rate, but you do get very accurate over time when you can see what the documents say and what actually happens later. Because you don't just look at the documents in isolation, you look at the history, you look at what actually transpired after these documents were released. And then from that, you can arrive at a conclusion if it was truthful or not. So just don't uh, please make this about, you know, me believing everything that is written in a U.S government document quite the opposite well that's what you said you said earlier uh, my qualifications is, is i've read everything on uh, okay okay i input on the uh, on the files because he has access to he's one of the plaintiffs in the missouri case so i would like for him to to, to speak on the twitter files drop today thanks ian i appreciate that and this has been a fascinating conversation but i i wanted to bring things back to the central issue in the Twitter files, the cent including the central issue of today's drop. And the central issue is our government, various agencies, have broken the law, and they have broken the highest law of the land, which is the U.S. Constitution. So it's, you know, it's debatable whether and how social media companies can and should censor. It's not debatable that the government cannot suborn those companies, cannot lean on those companies, cannot implicitly threaten those companies uh, into being the long arm of its censorship regime. And the Missouri v. Biden case, which Ian mentioned, is one that was filed several months ago. It allowed us a bit of a peek under the hood, the documents we got on Discovery, uh, even before the Twitter files started dropping. But what we've seen from the Twitter files confirms what we have alleged in the case. So this is a case filed by the AG of Missouri and Louisiana and four private plaintiffs. I am one of those private plaintiffs uh, against several senior uh, officials in the current and previous administrations. So this is not a partisan uh, maneuver, alleging precisely what the Twitter files show, namely that government agencies have been colluding with social media companies to suppress the free speech rights of Americans. So, what, is, what does the First Amendment of the Constitution mean? Well, for better or worse, it means what case law precedent, particularly Supreme Court precedent, says that it means. And there are very narrowly circumscribed things that are not protected under the First Amendment. Direct, uh, direct incitement to physical violence. Okay, so words are not violent, um, but incitement to physical acts of violence is not protected by the First Amendment. Uh, various forms of obscenity is not protected by the First Amendment. So, yes, the government can in get involved in, uh, you know, cracking down on child pornography on social media companies, and they should do that. They can get involved uh, in cracking down on direct incitements to violence, and they should do that. 
they cannot get involved in any of these other issues. And I mean, we could debate all day long at the war in Ukraine and, you know, the intentions of the intelligence community. All of these are fascinating questions. But I think it's helpful for us to just remind ourselves that the, the central issue is not who's right or wrong in those debates. I mean, the fact that we're debating them on this platform in this way shows that at the very least, they're debatable and they are protected by the First Amendment. And anything that the government does, anything that any agency does to attempt to sideline, shadow ban, kick off the platform uh, or, you know, basically force the hand of the social media companies to do that is a violation of our constitutional rights as Americans. If you're a foreign actor, sorry, the Constitution doesn't apply to you. So that's a different story. But if these are domestic accounts, the government cannot do this. And they've been not only doing it, but doing it on a such uh, on a on a massive scale that is so normalized now uh, they, they do it as a matter of course. They do it without a second thought that they're that they're violating the law. And I would encourage all of us who care about this issue to not get so distracted by the debates about the particular content that was censored. Um, yes, that's debatable. But the central issue is that that the government has broken the law and they should be held accountable. And if they are not, that's just another piece of evidence that our government agencies or the deep state or however you want to characterize people who are doing this, the intelligence community is above the law in the United States. And I would submit that that's a very, very bad place for us to be. Thank you. I agree with Aaron on that, but here's here's where you're going in the problems, okay? Like, in, in human intelligence, you cannot directly task a U.S. citizen to, to do collection for you. However, you can sensitize them. You can't let them know, I'm, look, I'm, I'm looking for this kind of information. You can sensitize them. So how do you sensitize a platform as far as what you want in this world, just like with war, where money is the driving factor. I mean, look at the look at the platforms. Look at Facebook, for example. Billions and billions of dollars for a platform you and I subscribe to for for free. In your heart of hearts, do you really believe that they've sold billions of dollars of advertisements on Facebook each year? Come on, man. I mean, it, it, to me, that doesn't make any sense. These, in my opinion, and from personal experience, and I can't dive too deep because then you're, you're getting into sources and methods and everything else, but <laughs> if you're giving major defense contracts or major federal contracts to a social media platform to keep that money coming, you don't have to break the law. You just have to sensitize them. I, you know, this bothers me. I want this. They're going to give it to you. And they're the ones that made that decision. It's not the government. I see your point, Aaron, but that's that's going to be their slippery way of going around. That is, not, we didn't direct them to do anything. Well, it is, and that's that's the counter argument in the Missouri v. Biden case is that we were just cooperating together, and the social media companies would have, you know, maybe done this anyway, and we were just sort of helping them do what they already wanted to do. And so that's that's an argument that will have to be answered by the, the fact finding process in this and what I imagine are going to be many similar cases to follow this case 
uh, alleging the same sorts of um, violations of, of, of American rights. But I, I think there is, my view, obviously biased, is that there's sufficient evidence now to establish that the government, whether it was through money, whether it's through the implicit kind of suggestion that if you don't do our bidding, uh, we're going to make life difficult through you by increased regulation um, and, and so forth. There, there's clearly an asymmetry of power. And there are case precedents showing that when you have this kind of asymmetry of power, the, 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 the threat of government control doesn't have to be you know, totally explicit and spelled out. That asymmetry alone creates conditions in which, um, you know, the, the government is crossing the line in terms of utilizing private companies for its own purposes. And in the case of regulation of speech, that would clearly violate the Constitution. So just just a perspective on all of this. And I think this is really important. It's really important to hammer home. And it's it's really concerning that the mainstream media isn't thinking about this. Um, and, and maybe that's because they're suborned by the intelligence community as well. But if what we are alleging here is true, and if what is suggested in, you know, the, the kind of most obvious interpretation of the Twitter files is true, this is not only a First Amendment violation, it's the most egregious, widespread, um, sort of longstanding, ongoing, pervasive violation of first amendment because while we are having this discussion the other space is now already recorded and saved i made a tweet about it uh yeah you know those who missed it they can uh, follow up the whole discussion later and what i'm saying is that what the latest twitter files are exposing is the relationship between twitter and the cia and how the u.s deep state is using big tech to censor and manipulate americans in breach of the u.s constitution absolutely i think we're all on the same page on that one yeah hey uh Hey, Kim and Ian, have you guys had any discussion so far about uh, National Resource Division? Has that been brought up at all in any of these things? I missed, obviously, like the first 45 minutes or an hour or so. I don't believe we talked about it, no. Are you, are you all familiar with the, uh, what, the, what that is and what they do? Uh, somewhat, but I'm, I mean, I think you should fill in the audience anyway. Fair enough. So I, I think a lot of people have this, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, what, movie sort of knowledge and, and sort of pop culture knowledge that that uh, contends that the, the CIA is not able to operate domestically in the United States, um, which is false. Or or if they are not allowed to, they do it anyway. So whatever, whatever that sort of thing is. Um, but there's a, a division that's known as National Resources. Uh, people can look it up. There's a Wikipedia piece on it. I mean, it's not, it's public. It's, it's very open source available to you. Um, and interestingly enough, at some point, and I don't know how far back this goes, the FBI created a relationship with the CIA to send FBI agents through the farm at Langley to go and go through the training to become case officers um, with the goal of creating special agents that are better at doing human, which was uh, discussed earlier. And if you are capable, uh, if you understand, you know, the, the principles of human and recruiting and so on, and tasking and all that kind of thing, if you're good at it, then you can get information. You can do domestic intelligence, which is something the FBI is tasked with doing. So they go over, they go through the farm, they come back out. They're stationed in a couple of uh, cities around the United States. They, you know, interact with, um, 
people in private businesses, they interact with um, heads of corporations, they interact and, and they recruit, you know, members of uh, non-governmental agencies and so on. This has probably always been going on, um, but they learn how to do that sort of thing. They do the source development in order to create this sort of domestic intelligence base, which is what the uh, the FBI is doing. And so when you see that we have this like robust relationship with the CIA, I was looking at, uh, you know, drop. The, the number uh, 18 tweet where it was showing you all the email addresses and it wasn't showing you the names, obviously, but it was giving you a little bit of background information on what that looked like. And, you know, it's it's important to remember that the, the FBI is not a monolithic organization. There's a lot of people involved. There's plenty of people who have no idea what's going on, but there's a fair number of people that are involved in any number of divisions and any number of headquarters units. So you'll see PH is Philadelphia, NY is New York. Um, CD is the criminal division out of headquarters. CID is the counterintelligence division. Uh, CYD is going to tell you about the cyber division. So there are a lot of people in a lot of parts of the FBI that are involved in this, in this, you know, Twitter files, you know, the, um, discussions with social media platforms and developing this sort of source network in the way that you would see the agency do, the CIA do. So, um, you know, Simultaneous to there, the problem is maybe not as widespread as some people have said. It's also very, very pervasive with a small number of people in the right places. And so we really cannot underestimate how much of, you know, the FBI has been compromised by doing these types of things. It doesn't have to be everyone everywhere doing it to make it wrong. It's, uh, it's an organization that really has to be beyond reproach in order to do its job right. And it doesn't and it's not. And so that's what this, these files have really showed us this sort of interplay between the intelligence community and influencing private businesses, you know, to censor speech, which I think is what Aaron was saying. It's just, it's absolutely antithetical to the American model of freedom. We just cannot have that sort of thing. And so that's the danger. It doesn't have to be everybody. And then I, I'm, unfortunately I missed your COVID spaces, but I, you know, part of this was revealed to people within the bureau, um, you know, and, and the folks that I deal with on a daily basis because of the way that, that COVID went down. We haven't done you didn't miss them. We haven't done the COVID spaces yet. No, okay. I have done it. I have done a COVID space. But oh, hey, Kim Kyle, okay. uh, Edward Snowden sure. just uh, tweeted something interesting that I would like to read out. I he says the, FBI, the FBI assigned so many agents to search for ways to de-platform accounts. They didn't like that it was even making the FBI's former top lawyer uncomfortable. That's the same FBI former top lawyer who left the FBI to work at uh, as uh, lead global counsel uh, at Twitter. Jim Baker, right. yeah. So, so we got to be careful too, though. Like when we say the word agents, um, I know people that work in the intelligence community use the word very differently than what we say in the Bureau. When we say FBI agents, which you guys all have a, a concept of what that looks like, that's a special agent. That's a sworn badge and gun um, employee of the FBI. I don't know that they assigned so many agents, and and this is something analysts, that's really right? worth you, getting. You refer to analysts, yeah, FBI analysts. Yeah, professional support employees are not all even analysts. Analysts right. is a specific job in the bureau. It's IA, but we have other analytical personnel that are called MAPAs and SOS. Well, let, let's so, just say FBI people, FBI power. Yeah. No, no, totally, totally true. To be specific. I, yeah, I just want to be real clear about that. And and the piece that I think that he's correct. So, the, you know, this foreign intelligence, whatever task force that was going on, that um, the 80 people that we're talking about, I just want to give people a concept of of how many that is when it comes to FBI you know, work. 
I worked in a small area that was responsible be, for between 6,000 and 8,000 square miles, the entire southern half of New Mexico, from uh, from Texas all the way to Arizona and down to Mexico, with you know well over 100, maybe 200 miles of Mexican border and all the problems that come along with that. And we had about 25 total employees to cover that entire area. So 80 people is not you know, uh, a small amount of people assigned to any tasking. They're they're also all over the place in this group that was referred to as SOMEX, which is the social media exploitation groups. So, you know, they, you know, they have big meetings on these folks. They, they'll put them across the board. Everybody kind of zooms in or they have, you know, like a Skype meeting in where everyone's talking. But 80 people is a lot. And especially when they're spread across all these different divisions, because you may only have one point person that's on that task force, but there's a half dozen people or more that are supporting it. So it's a substantial amount of resources that was dedicated to it. And and Snowden is right in this case. It's very troubling. Um, whether it made Jim Baker un- uncomfortable or not, I, I didn't take it away necessarily that that's what his words meant. Um, but he is asking the relevant question, which is why in the hell is a government agency trying to enforce a private company's you know, terms of service and policies? It's absurd on its face. It's just not it's not an action because it's not an enforcement action and it's not an intelligence action. It's like an intelligence um, operation, I would say. It's running an intelligence operation against the American people incredibly troubling stuff. So I don't think That's we're saying right. the wrong things, but I just want to be very granular about the details because when we use words in, you know, when you use the wrong words, the FBI uses that to run away from it. You know, they're, they're more than happy to say, well, we didn't have 80 agents because they're defining agents the way that I just did. So I just want to make that stuff clear. I think it's irrelevant to the conversation. You know, no, very, that, very good points, Kyle. Thank you for that. You know, and, and these FBI, you know, age, uh, employees, you know, let's not presume they were acting in good faith and just being tasked to specifically look at for folks, no matter the nature of their conversations. They're just trying to fairly uh, uh, enforce whatever it is they were told to enforce. Yeah, that, Tom, we know I that's not the I, case. I, 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 mean, I mean, Kyle has seen that directly. Correct. We represent a uh, an analyst who was told he was a, um, what was the language? He was accused. Of, he, he was falsely accused of being disloyal to the American people, uh, to the American, uh, to disloyal to being disloyal to the United States, uh, because evidently he asked the wrong type of questions as an analyst. Yeah, and so then I can get you a half dozen more of those too, if you want, because that's yeah, not you know, common, unfortunately, it's sad. Yeah, and so uh, you know that that's the big issue here, and I, I want to go back to the Ukraine corruption here. Because I don't think the cor- the corruption goes to undermining a sitting president of the United States, uh, I, you know, without arguing whether it was a coup or, you know, how that government came into power. The fact is there was a, a government in control of Ukraine that was very sympathetic and eagerly worked with transnational left interests to advance their agenda. Uh, so on the ground in Ukraine, uh, what was seen as anti-corruption efforts were all geared towards, you know, targeting anyone who was right, right of center in that context. And so similarly, they targeted Trump. They began targeting Trump in 2016. Uh, there's, there's no doubt that occurred. You had government officials specifically attacking Trump. And then when Trump started asking questions about it, they targeted him again. Uh, you had deep state actors in the State Department. You had uh, Eric Ciremella at the, uh, the CIA working with Vidman uh, and Schiff to target Trump. 
and it led to an effort to remove him from office for raising questions about Ukrainian slash deep state intervention in our election. Now, I said Sarah Mello, that I might get me uh, this this video banned from YouTube. Twitter allows me to say the name. Uh, but this is the, uh, you know, so th- this is kind of uh, shows, you know, that we're all crime victims here. The CIA's efforts were broad here. Uh, but when you've got deep state intelligence agencies working with Ukraine operatives and um, uh, their 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 handlers in the United uh, in in um, in Kiev uh, to target a sitting president, that's a coup, and that's what happened. And you can't separate that from the debates we're having now. Mentioning this as a coup is, 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 is an escalation. Would you agree that there was? Sorry, uh, Mario, your microphone is coming through twice. <laughs> Oh, oh shit. shit! Okay, I'll, okay. I'll, let, you, I'll, let, you, I'll let you take, take over, over then, Kyle. Kyle. Uh, Ian. Yeah, what was your question? <laughs> um, like, did, did, did the FBI intentionally influence the election? Was that intentional according to Kyle? Oh, okay, okay. So, did the FBI intentionally influence the election? And that's a question for Kyle. Okay. So, I, I, this is something I think we need to really hammer home. The FBI is not a monolith. Right. Um, it's not and, and, and nor, nor are any other government agencies. They don't operate as a monolithic. Everybody is pulling the same way. This is not a rowing crew. These are a bunch of individual people that have a bunch of different ideas. Um, some of them are going to be operating on their personal biases. That that's really the goal of what the FBI should be doing is avoiding those personal biases if possible. Like I don't remember ever applying bias to a, uh, to a case. And in fact, I've actually worked against doing those sort of things. But when, when you, did they actually influence is really the question, not whether they intended to, because it doesn't, like in this case, we can't really ascertain whether it was intent. This is the difference between misinformation and disinformation, by the way. I think the word is just intent. And establishing intent is probably one of the most difficult things to do because you can't get in another person's head. I don't okay, think Kyle, so, get... so you're saying when the FBI had the Hunter Biden laptop in 2019 and when it was verified as authentic and they let impeachment against Trump go forward. And didn't provide this right. exculpatory evidence and worked to shut down the story on social media and basically back corporate press as they said, ignore this. You're saying that you can't ascertain intent from the, from those circumstantial events. No, I'd say that I would probably uh, assume that there is intent based on what we're seeing there, but it's not the entire FBI. That's the problem. But it's the brass, so the correct? FBI, this like, is the same brass that with the DOJ weaponized against school parents. It's the same brass. That watch U.S. Sure. Cities, look, cities burn down, but sent thirty agents to go look at garage pulley cords. Yeah, listen, and I'm I'm more than happy to say that there are so many bad actors that are operating within the seventh floor. There are a lot of bad actors that are compromised that are working within the senior management, the so-called deep state. I would refer to it as basically political appointees and the SES, the Senior Executive Service. I think that's pretty pretty clear. Um, but to say that everybody understood what was going on, like I, there's very few people that knew about, the, you know, saw the Hunter Biden laptop or was able to authenticate it. So I'm not making a pass for anybody. I just want to be real specific when I'm when I'm using words. I don't think the FBI as a as a monolithic organization sought to influence, um, you, say, Sky, you know, an election. You, Chris, is I my think audio, that, is my audio okay or still shit? Yeah, it's good now. Is my audio okay? 
Yeah, it sounds yeah. good. Okay, but, yeah, okay. So, Kyle, would you say just quickly, Kyle? Would you say then this is bias at a at a, at a large governmental organization? Is that a better way to characterize what we know now? Bias that had impact, bias material had impact, impact, material impact on censorship. You're echoing censorship. again. Oh fuck it! Yeah, we're you're echoing, echoing again. again. But yes, you're 100% hey, try and not use any Bluetooth device or whatever. Just speak directly into your phone. There's a hundred percent bias. Yes, I agree. I there would be bias. Bigger issue here isn't so much. I mean, it's clearly an issue when uh, a particular entity is trying to uh, do something out of bias to to influence a particular outcome. But I think as a whole, there is a there is an issue with any kind of interference, really, because when we're not seeing the clear picture, when there is interference uh, in general, even if the intention isn't to necessarily distort, uh, to per, you know, persuade pursue a particular agenda it's still a a, a serious issue Precisely. Aaron, guys i would like to recommend something real quick um when the when the space crash earlier aaron was talking to us about uh, the unconstitutionality of what happened here and the legal issues i would like to pick up where we left off when the space crashed and let aaron fin and aaron finish his point yeah, th thank you for that. And again, going back to First Amendment jurisprudence, intent is very, very difficult to prove. Um, there are some legal cases where intent becomes important. You know, the distinction between murder and manslaughter, for example, in a criminal case, intent is important. But in a First Amendment case, intent is not important. And I, I think these agencies would love to get into arguments with um you know, in a court of law or in a in a federal investigation about intent, because that would be a wonderful distraction from the central issue. The question is not what they intended to do or what their particular political biases were or were not. That will take us down the deepest of all possible rabbit holes. The central issue is whether they engaged in censorship. And I think we, we have to really sort of focus our attention on this because if this allegation is true the allegation in the missouri v biden case the allegation that will certainly be at the centerpiece of many more similar lawsuits that will be filed in the coming months then this is the largest most pervasive and longest lasting uh constitutional violation of first amendment free speech rights in american history period this is a world historical uh, violation of the highest law of the land by many, many government agencies, the CDs, I'm sorry, the FBI and the CIA being only two of them. So yeah. one of the things that happened in our documents on discovery, and this is just the, the last point I'll make, is that this censorship regime turned out to be more vast and pervasive than even we imagined. So there's something like 17 federal agencies now that have been named as defendants or individuals within those agencies named as defendants in our suit. Hey, uh, Aaron, I really love what you're saying. I have started a working group with a couple of lawyers and law professors, and we're going to meet after the holidays. I would like to invite you and give us your insights. Yeah. Uh, 
because, you know, like you said, this is a constitutional issue. And I like what you said about uh, mens rea or motive. It doesn't matter. The government or government agencies cannot engage in this behavior at all. There's no justification for it. So I would love to have you as part of that group. Great. I would be happy to be a part of it. Hey, uh, by the way, you might throw in here real quick the reality that the FBI was founded in 1908, not formally by any legislation. It was under the attorney general's office, now the Department of Justice, because you've got uh, groups like the FBI. It was always intended as an investigative investigating organization on criminal activities. Now, since uh, World War One, when they started to utilize the group of people that were brought in, by the way, from the Secret Service uh, in that original tranche in 1908, uh, that, that they started to investigate uh, problems uh, and illegalities on the Espionage Act and various things like that during World War One, you started to get this cloudy um, CIA-type approach uh, that wasn't a big problem at that time, but it kind of started. And it's really morphed into what uh, Kyle was talking about just a little bit ago, where, you know, now, now the CIA is training these people. The, the purpose of the FBI is not to investigate and do espionage, uh, anti-espionage work. Their job is to investigate crimes. That's the purpose. And Kyle, you're wa- welcome to modify that to some degree for me. But that's the main purpose of the FBI. What we're seeing here, with the, particularly with the dump today, and with the stuff leading up to it, is an attempt by the FBI to uh, cater speech on public platforms, and that with no warrant to do so at all. Only, only their ability to get willing participation from these platforms. And and the last point I'll make there is this distinction of disinformation and misinformation. Again, I just reemphasize: doesn't matter a whit. In any of this, I mean, it only matters in terms of what you as a person do to navigate what's being put out there. But from the FBI's perspective, from the operations of the federal government, none of this issue of disinformation or misinformation matters, except in very rare circumstances where actual criminal behavior is taking place. They are not allowed to be the thought police to wonder if you've got criminal intent in what you say. They can only go after you if you have criminal activity that grows out of that intent. And I, I think that's one of the more. So when you've got Sebastian and Kim arguing over Ukraine, we want that. That's what makes a free society. Like when you've got the, the stern disagreements over a very serious international and policy issue, that is healthy to society. It's healthy in this forum and it's healthy, healthy for everyone else. Who would ever listen to it? So we, we've got to, we got to, I think that the FBI and the CIA and others have, and, and other deep state actors have done a really good job of causing us to evaluate this from entirely the wrong foundation. The foundation is that misinformation, disinformation, stupidity, intelligence, and academic endeavors, it all it was designed to be able to be expressed under a free a First Amendment regime, particularly here in the United States, and it's the standard we want around the world. If I can uh, respond can to that respond. real quick. So, um, 
first of all, uh, Aaron, I agree with literally everything you said there. I'm behind it 100%. I want to clarify my position. When I say that it's not monolithic, I just think it's worth being specific and accurate about certain things. Secondly, I'm on abolition at this point. I don't think the FBI's brand can be saved because of the way that it was operating. A lot of it because it doesn't solve the problem that it was proposed to solve going all the way back to 1908 and the 1930s when it was doing you know interstate criminal work. There's always been a small amount of groups that uh, did intelligence work. That was probably maybe a 10 or a 15 percent of the Bureau's mission. Whether that is appropriate or not, I'm not going to weigh in on. I don't I don't know. I wasn't there. But what I do know is that it's a bigger part of the of the Bureau's mission now than it was previously. And it has gotten ever bigger ever since 9-11. And that is a real danger, because as an FBI agent who was a sworn agent to do law enforcement, all the original cases that I was assigned when I moved to counterintelligence were non-criminal. And if they became a criminal case, they would be taken away from my squad and given to a squad that did criminal work because nothing we did was criminal. We did not do criminal law enforcement. So our investigations were 100% intelligence focused for the purpose of information. And they were all on American citizens, every single damn one of them. So that was the purpose of what we had. And some of the ways that they use the tools that are available to them right now, uh, particularly uh, 702 FISA, which is a very specific section of the FISA, allows for looking into overseas individuals and using some of their, um, you know, some of the facilities that they communicate on for our exploitation. We are specifically forbidden by law to do what's called reverse targeting, which is to say, find Americans in those threads. And it is the only way that it makes sense for a criminal investigator, someone who's looking for espionage activity. And so it is used that way in the FBI. It's one of the things that I've done whistleblowing activity with um, to Congress, because I think it's incredibly dangerous to give them a tool that only has one feature for someone like me and then say, don't use it for that thing. But by the way, we want you to still accomplish the mission that we gave you the tool not to use. Incredibly dangerous stuff. It's all really, really scary. And it it, it cannot be allowed. So I I just don't think the FBI, I think they've outgrown whatever they did. They become something else. And that thing is really, it's antithetical to American interests at this point. So that's, those are the positions. Um, I agree with most of what Jim said too. Yeah, that's, that's very helpful, Kyle. And I just want to, I just want to remind people of the reason for the first amendment free speech protections, which I would love to extend to people around the world as well. But they certainly apply to Americans, if not to um, uh, people in other countries. And, and the reason is that the, the founders recognized that no person is in a position to decide what is true and what is false. Uh, no group, not the FBI, not the CIA. If someone has committed a crime uh, or if there's a civil action, we have a legal fact-finding process to try to get at the truth. But we even have a recognition, even in that highly structured truth-finding environment, that you know there's there's going to be grounds for appeal, uh, that that courts and juries and judges can get those matters wrong. And obviously, uh, if someone puts up a contra- controversial piece of information or expresses a controversial idea. Uh, there isn't going to be a a fact-finding process capable of establishing whether it is true or false. So I'm not a relativist. I believe in facts. I believe in truth. Um, But I I believe, as our founders did, in the limits of any one individual, group, person, party, uh, or, uh, you know, powerful agency to determine truth unilaterally. And, And that's why... Uh, in a free speech uh, environment under the First Amendment, you're going to have a lot of bad ideas. 
you're going to have a lot of false ideas and false information floated. And we should combat that through, um, through argumentation and reasoned uh, debate. But, uh, you know, if, if, you're, if you're talking about protecting your First Amendment rights, you do not have to establish that what you said was true. You do not have to establish that you intended to speak the truth. You merely have to establish that you expressed an idea that the government attempted to um, forbid you from expressing. Yeah, the uh, I think yeah, the, the, uh, the lesson is that the, the uh, well, when I, when I hear myself echoed, it, it's hard to think. <laughs> I'll just say uh, the answer to bad speech is more free speech. That that's the lesson that we should take away from this, right? Suppressing people, shutting down people's ideas, preventing them from being able to speak—it's not the solution. Because who's to say that they're right and we're wrong, or that we're right and they're wrong, right? I mean, more speech is good. And uh, with that, I think Mario. For a second, yeah. Yeah, I was just kind of quickly, Ian. Is my audio back? Is it shit still? Or is good it's still shit. Uh, let 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 let's shit. let Viva uh, go, let, and then I think we'll be ending the space. I think we'll be ending the space. Yeah, we'll get we'll let Viva go, and then Ian, you could wrap sure. up the space. Can do. Sure. Can do. All right, guys. Let, let me know if you hear me echoing. Uh, no, you're fine. You're fine. Audio you glitches. You All right, go. awesome. Uh, it, 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 no one needs to be convinced that this is a First Amendment issue. The the, the problem is from the legal perspective. When it's a government actor, is it going to be coercion? Is it going to be uh, doing the bidding for the FBI at their request? The amazing thing about this dump is that it started off at the level of other private actors, private companies doing their own thing. Then it became, oh, okay, well, they're meeting with the FBI. Zuckerberg says, you know, when, when we meet with the FBI, we take it seriously. All right, people are still going to say private actors. Now that we actually have evidence uh, from, I forget which Twitter dump it was, of remuneration. Then it's going to go into the question of, well, what's the remuneration for? Was it just compensating for time lost or was it uh, active um, direction from the government remuneration, that sort of compensation? When you have elements of the FBI working within the companies, I, I think I've been saying this for a few years, but I have to find the original tweets. These social media companies were nothing from their origins but apparatus of the government for the purposes of manipulating public opinion. And uh, it's just come to light now. So what First Amendment violation or not, it's corruption to the core. And when we're talking about the intent of the FBI and not being monolithic, etc., this is the same FBI that physically modified, physically falsified evidence to justify spying on the Trump campaign through Carter Page in 2016. It, 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 the, the, suggesting that there's any ambiguity of intent uh, is wishful thinking that, that the evidence is all there. It's corruption to the core. And I, I agree. I don't know who it was, was speaking, but there is no remedy to this. But for disbanding the FBI at this point in time because not monolithic or monolithic, it's monolithic in ideology and it has become an absolute enemy to the people and it's just not clear what, what government interests they're, uh, they're, they're propping up at this point other than their own deep state interests. Okay, I think uh, Tom has been waiting for a while and then we can end it so everybody has a chance to speak. Yeah, so Tom? You know, this is... Uh, it, we've been getting away from, in some of the language, I'm saying it's purposeful, but let's be clear here. This was a left-wing operation uh, and partisan, meaning it was a Democrat operation to use these agencies to target their political opponents. It began uh, in 2010 uh, with Citizens Unite. I shouldn't say it began, but it metastasized under the Obama administration in 2010 with the Citizens United uh, decision by the Supreme Court that expanded free speech 
for corporations and other entities. The left was furious about it. They figured out a way to use the IRS to suppress the emerging Tea Party movement at the time and try to target other Republican-oriented groups that were taking advantage of this decision. Part of that was to get the FBI to criminally investigate those who were using their free speech to advocate for uh, or to advocate against uh, uh, Obama's reelection. Uh, and Obama succeeded. He suppressed an entire political movement. Uh, he and his allies in 2012 ensured his reelection. So comes in 2016, they had another issue. You had their candidate, uh, Hillary, uh, tied to criminal activity as, as exposed, uh, through Judicial Watch's FOIA investigation of Benghazi, which found the emails. And, uh, so, uh, you had Obama who had a personal interest in seeing Hillary reelected. Obama was the first president in, uh, decades to campaign directly for his successor. Even uh, surprisingly, it's, it hasn't been really done before, at least in modern history. Uh, presidents leaving tend to get, stay out of the campaigns, not Obama. So his agencies working hand in glove with Hillary, including the FBI, uh, went in a partisan way after Trump and people around him. And uh, that involved Ukraine and such using these very agencies. So, you know, uh, there's nothing about, quote, you know, we talk about the government. No, we're talking about ideologues and 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 partisans using the powers entrusted to them under uh, to the uh, by the American people, uh, certainly in these agency operations uh, to uh, target their political opponents. And, you know, that's what we're seeing here again. There's nothing about, quote, the government doing this it's it's remember these are partisans and ideologues doing this in the fbi or directing this certainly in the fbi and the cia and this is just part of the abuse uh we have the targeting of parents the targeting of pro-lifers by the fbi Uh, you have uh, the department of homeland security uh, targeting quote election speech and you know they've decided to escalate their purview over, quote, managing intelligence and protecting America against intelligence to protecting America from the wrong politicians being elected. Uh, so, uh, you know, they, they think they can they can interfere in elections, and that's part of their duties and responsibilities. And, you know, to me, uh, we got to ask, what is our Congress going to do about it? What is our law enforcement to the degree it's capable of doing anything about it going to do about it? And, you know, your listeners should be asking their members of Congress, what are you doing about the Twitter files? You all just voted to fund these agencies with no restrictions, even though there's evidence they were misusing tax dollars to target and destroy the civil rights of American citizens by the millions. And they rigged an election and they're planning to rig another one. What are you going to do about it beyond a hearing? Are you going to keep on funding it? You know, those are the tough questions we got to ask you. You know, we know what's been done. We have the proof. And the only way to get it stopped is to either people will lose their jobs or be prosecuted over it. Um, is my audio fine now? Yeah, it's better. Yeah. Oh, finally. Uh, Catherine, I, I just want to end it with you as well on a, just to keep it a nonpartisan, if you don't mind. Um, your final thoughts on, on what we saw today and, and the, 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 I would say the abuse of power that led to so much censorship. 
Sure. I mean, I, I do understand the point of view of this being a partisan issue because I understand Which, that. I, would, I want to give, and I do, sorry, Kat, I just want to say for Tom, yeah. like, it was, it was partisan. It, it, you can't understand the bias was there to the left with, with Twitter. And I just want to kind of wrap it up as, as kind of focusing more on censorship in general. Uh, so that's what I thought. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's where I was going with it. So while I do, I do see this, uh, I understand why people might view it as a partisan issue. And, and there was the bias, like, like you just said, Mario. However, I think we really have to zoom out. And if we want to, you know, I think as we look at all these drops, um, we can continue talking about this amongst ourselves. Or if we want to get people on board and interested in it and care about it beyond the scope of those who are, say, in this space um, and those who have been more affected by it, I think we have to really look at it from a bird's eye view and kind of zoom out and think about it. You know, ultimately, at the core of this is that we don't have just a private company that's exercising its right to moderate, you know, speech on its platform, but we have government entities influencing, pressuring it. And in some cases, paying it money, you know, even if for its time, it's still an issue. Um to influence what is seen and not seen by the public. And I think that broader issue is a much more, um, you know, not, not to diminish the other issues, but it's an issue that's more unifying to the general public. And I think it's important as we sort of move forward that we do spread that message to the public to make other people care beyond the room or beyond, say, conservatives, which are maybe or, you know, I think you can make a case that we're more affected by it. But I think if you want to move forward, you need to get more people on board. And I think more people should be concerned about the greater, greater aspect of this. So that's that's where I'm at with it. Right, guys, well, Catherine, the problem it. is the polling shows that Democrats, by overwhelming majority, support censorship online of their political opponents. I mean, this is this is a feature thing, yeah. of their ideology and political agenda it's, 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 it's not it it's not it's not a, a you know uh a bug i get it you know, but yeah, Tom, there yeah, are people like me and there are other people who are uh, who are sort of more awake to that and uh and wanting to push back i guess people, so, like I mean, right? people like matt Taibbi, right people like matt Taibbi are yeah matt Taibbi, like, people like me there are, there are many other people right yeah nominally people yeah and there are people that have that their liberal to... ideals above their partisan allegiances to the democrat party Correct. yeah you want more people like this versus people who are like vote blue no matter who even if he's a pedophile who kill a bunch of babies well we yeah. want to and, and ian we want to motivate more like one of the things that michael the reason i've decided to be more outspoken about these things is like i want to motivate more people who feel because there's a lot of people who feel this way but don't express yeah. it a lot of people paint elon into this i mean nowadays they're trying to paint him into this far right corner when he's clearly not he's a moderate right and uh and he clearly cares about these principles that we're talking about here free speech no censorship and you know full transparency and all that all that good stuff and i hope that you know him standing up uh, inspires more people to do the same thing because I feel like a lot of people, like that 80% majority he talks about, uh, they're going to be on the center at the very least, you know, either on the moderate left or the moderate right who are, you know, especially the ones on the moderate left are afraid to speak out. So hopefully this does change uh yeah, I think you know, what we should do, we should do, we should get a panel full of, uh, you know, people on the extreme left to get oh, their God, perspective. No. They're not worth to talking their, their... to. They're not worth talking to. They are, they are crazy as fuck. I'm just saying. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you, I think, you I think we feel, like, we feel, Mario, I, 
Yeah. Mario, you already had plenty of them in your space, so don't worry about no, it. I don't all. think I don't but... think I had anyone on the extreme left. If I no. did, the extreme no. left are no, insane. No, they no, would but... literally start attacking me and calling me a Nazi or something. Trust, trust me. Yeah, so but I think uh, yeah, so there's always obviously there's some that are just too illogical to have. Like on we can stage have Taylor Lorenz here. Um, I think I, I'd be open to that. You know, like someone like her is is more um, reasonable. Uh, I, I would be open to talking to journalists who are, you know, I would say reasonable people who, even if they identify as as left or something, they're okay to talk to. I'd be okay with that. But I just want to get. I want to get. I want to. What I want to do is I want to. Might as well have Nazis on here. No, so I. No, so the point that I'm making is I want people to come on stage that agree with censorship because all of us oh, tend God, to agree yeah. that you know we're not supporting censorship. Like so I want to I want to get their thoughts. Like, what's their thought process? Because I think once we have a discussion, we'll find some sort of middle ground. They'll lean yeah. more to in our way, and we'll understand them better. So I think that's yeah, I think like one that's thing. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah, that's what that's uh, one uh, thing uh, I haven't uh, I haven't space. done yet. A space full of extreme left who favor censorship. I mean. What's the point of that? Listen, let me give you a really good example about what's going on. Um, I respect a law professor from Harvard very, very much. He is a brilliant guy. Is it Adrian the Vermeule? ethics guy. I, I'm not going to say names. He's awesome. But someone who's worked with the someone who's worked with EFF in the past, with the ACLU, uh, you know, about freedom of speech issues, about uh, constitutional issues, and even he is not able to look at this uh, matter of Twitter files um, and see. Uh, you know, how damaging this type of censorship is to all Americans because he is against Trump and he is so much uh, tribalized and in, in his corner, in his team, uh, he cannot accept to look at any of this in an unbiased oh, way. Oh, that's not Adrian, knows... someone else. <laughs> so he, he, the, the problem is he knows that if this becomes a major issue, uh, the evidence is so damning and so terrible that the left is going to lose this and over that may lose the presidential election in 2024. So people who are um, have a history of speaking out for free speech and, uh, you know, are really invested in, in the rights of Americans on this issue are not willing, uh, you know, to, to see it as it is because it's going to undermine their political party, the, the, the party that they support. Catherine, uh, I see you as a co-host as well. So I'll give you the final word before thanking everyone and wishing them a great Christmas. Thanks. I mean, um, I just to Kim's point in terms of why we should listen to even, you know, extreme leftists or against censorship or, you know, I've been I've been in spaces with everybody. I've been in spaces with extreme right wingers who or extreme um, like even what they might define themselves as neo-Nazis, uh, <laughs> which is very Are uncomfortable in some Are way. Are you Ukrainian? Chat? No, they were not Ukrainian, Ian. Uh, they were like literal, you know, I think we would all agree that they're, you know, they, they hate their, yeah. Anyways, I, I won't go too deeply into it, but I think understanding where people come from is, is critical because if we don't understand why people think the way they do, we cannot address the issues. So I think that is, you know, you can think that somebody's unchangeable, but people can change. Um, maybe it's an ideal. I'm not you naive, but I am ideal. So you're not a fan yeah, of the sunken cost fallacy? I can't, I can't. 
I, I can't, guys. I can't have spaces and not listen to people and then and then talk against censorship. So I like how when people say Mario, don't yeah, make this the, person. Or that. Mario, the problem is, and I've said it before, you do have these people in your spaces, and they come here. We don't and have any far uh, left. Hey, hey, I don't just, have anyone on the extreme left. left. Can I just say this? It's important. You do have people here that come into the space and call clear evidence unsubstantiated. They're making up stories about, for example, the Hunter Biden lab headers in the email. And you have them here in the space filing their vile and and their and their uh, fake stories. And, you know, if you didn't have me here or some other people who are educated about these matters, these people would be going on forever and misleading everyone. So you do already have these voices here. And, uh, you know, it's kind of well, damaging. They're not here, but they're not, Kim, they're not here anymore, are they? And they're not here. Yeah, because to give I us fucking blocked them. Yeah, I removed them and I blocked goes... them because it's, yeah. it's bullshit. Yeah, but see, so what happens though is when we this is exactly what people at Twitter did. They're like, "Hey, we censored these people because what they're saying is bullshit, and we disagree with them." Now, in some cases, they might. What were they saying? I don't know what they were saying when 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 uh, you disagreed with them. You might be right, and that's why what I try to achieve is a balanced discussion. So you were there kind of kind of dispute what they were saying. You both made your point, and we'd move on. Um, so so that's at least that's what I'm trying to achieve. It's really difficult to achieve, and as you can see in in previous spaces, it gets a bit difficult. But the point I was making is when we get people like even people from the extreme left or people from the I get I get criticized from for almost every person I bring on the panel, everybody, including some of you here that on the panel right now. Yeah, man, I get I get criticized from all sides. <laughs> but the 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 answer I always have is like let's listen to them as long as we 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 have a, an opposing view to balance the discussion so it doesn't go you know as long as we don't spread misinformation we allow for open discussions which is really difficult to do. I think it's always useful. So if we get someone from the far left say, hey, you believe in censorship? Why? Honestly, you know, okay, here's the thing. Honestly, I'm okay with talking to someone on the far left as long as they don't defame other people, right? I don't want to... 100%. Wanna, uh-huh, no personal wanna, attacks, never. Call people pedos or, you know, uh, fascists or, or whatever, you know, like just weird stuff, right? Like that, And that's what they usually do. So we can't have that. You can't have name never. calling and, 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 you know, 100%. can't turn it into a struggle session. Yeah, yeah which and, like, and just to be 100%. clear why I, why I uh, removed those uh, two people earlier, they called me a conspiracy theorist. They said I shouldn't be talking about this because I'm not American. So people like that are instantly disqualified. And what you also need to understand, Mario, people like that are sent into spaces like this to create this kind of distraction, to talk about stuff that are stuff that are not really on topic, uh, to create some kind of shitstorm about sideshows that don't really matter. So you need to identify this, and you need to stay on topic. And the topic was about Twitter files, and not if I'm American or anything like that. Merry Christmas, Kim. Yeah, Merry Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to, to you all. <laughs> Uh, everyone, Merry I would say Christmas. Merry Christmas to Antifa, but they're all godless. Okay, Ian, Ian, and now let's just say Merry Christmas to everyone, guys. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas everyone for jumping to, on the panel. You know, hopefully, they, they they find their way. And, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, but Ma- yeah, Mario, everyone find their way. Everyone find their one thing, Mario, because I, I think you know these it's, agencies. Prodigal, is it about Christmas? Yeah. It's about no, Christmas. Prodigal, it's about no, the Christmas of everybody. No, it's else. not. Prodigal, you're tricking me. 
You're tricking. I mean, these agencies have, have shown that they're lawless. <laughs> I love you. Bro. Oh that no, they don't no, care. <laughs> and, got, and let's I be honest: go. if they My have compromising material prodigal. on prodigal. politicians, prodigal. they're going to use it. Prodigal, 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 prodigal. Christmas prodigal. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Protocol. Good to have yeah. you, man. Fidgetal, Jim, Steve, Catherine, stuff, of stuff. course, Aaron, Kyle. Happy Hanukkah, everybody. And, and also, Viva, Happy, Viva Frey. Happy Hanukkah, man. And Viva Frey, uh, just DM me, Viva, so I can always invite you in the future. It's a pleasure to have you, and it was good to hear you speak. Yeah. Will do. Thank you very much. I, I didn't want to interrupt too much. I don't know what the etiquette no, is. You've been great, you've been great yeah. man. You've been great. I'd love to invite you. Hey, so, can yeah, can I could, say a Christmas yeah, message could, real quick? Yeah, before you do, Kim, Viva, if you can, just because I'm not, um, uh, we're not following each other, DM me so I can then DM you. So this is why I invite we'll you to more panels because it was a pleasure to have you. Yeah, Kim, uh, uh, please, a Christmas message. Highlight of Christmas. Yes, highlight of Christmas. So I wish everyone here a Merry Christmas, no matter if you are Democrat or Republican. I, it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is, what religion you have, what you believe in. But I think one thing we all need to understand is when the government impedes on your rights you need to stand up against that no matter what party you are for no matter what tribe you are in because it's going to eventually lead to your democracy being destroyed and once a leader gets into a play that can abuse all these powers you will find yourself in another situation like nazi germany and we all don't want that so it's not about politics here it's really about your rights and the law and you want to protect that because otherwise you're losing out no matter what side you're on. Thanks, Kim. Merry Christmas to you too. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much and enjoy your eve. Again, thanks yeah. for And everybody this go to DonbassTragedy.com or whatever everyone, the site is. Everyone go, to Merry, everyone go to MerryChristmas.com. <laughs> That's the best website to go to. Love you all. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thanks for all the panels.